what is up? The Raiders just put the nail in the coffin as we speak seconds ago against the uh, the Packers to put a bow on week five. And we are back with another episode of the goal line. Jordan, what is going on, man? Oh, man. Just uh, like you said, capping off week five, another exciting weekend of football in general. Uh, it's a good weekend for me. Huskers and Falcons win. So any 2-0 and weekend is just a magical weekend. Getting a little bit later start. I know you guys have kind of enjoyed the kind of live commentary on the second half of Monday Night Football. But uh, yeah, late start this week because we just wrapped up an absolutely excellent interview with uh, Buck Rasmussen. So I know you're probably asking yourself, who is Buck Rasmussen? Uh, Jordan, enlighten him. So Buck is actually a uh, Super Bowl winning player. He played on the Patriots in 2004. Uh, when they won the Super Bowl, um, he's actually a Nebraska boy. So, um, a friend of a friend. That's how the link up happened. Jordan, Jordan made it happen yeah, for us. A friend of a friend, another former farmer linked us up. So we, uh, we met on the harvest field and, uh, then we talked some, uh, pigskin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, he basically, you know, a cup of coffee in the NFL was there for two years, which just happened to be the 2003, 2004 Patriots. Dude has a super duper interesting story, just his path to even getting that far, did some time in NFL Europe, and we kind of touched on all that. So first off, you know, got to give the salute to Jordan for making it happen. But I'm telling you, this guy, this interview was super duper interesting. Um, So we're going to have that tacked on at the end of this episode. And I encourage you guys to stick around and listen to it because Buck's an awesome speaker. He does motivational speaking now. Uh, You can kind of hear a little bit of that in in him telling his story. yeah, it was just really, really neat to talk to a guy who played with uh, Belichick and Brady. He had some awesome stories from those years that he was there. And, uh, and yeah, check it out and let us know what you guys Jesus, think. Jesus, bro, you're supposed to give him a tease, not the whole goddamn thing. <laughs> I, I, there's still a lot of meat on the bone, man. I was just, you know, we literally just wrapped it up about 10 minutes ago, and we were just thrilled. We were kind of nervous on how it was going to go doing our first interview, but Buck was a great guest. And, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, man. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, Jordan, remind the listeners where they can find us on social media. Uh, find us on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at goal underscore line underscore pod. And then on Instagram, find us at the goal line football show. All right. You ready to talk some football? I am. All right, Seth. I'm dropping this on you right now. We're switching format for this this week. I felt like we needed to to do something a little different this week. So our four stories, I picked out four players in the NFL, and we're going to talk about what's going on with them. Uh, I think there's no better place to start than Dak Prescott. Man, dude, for a dude that was like so scrutinized coming into this season, it, it last night. I mean, I, I just don't know how he's going to come back from that. Honestly, he's still a decent quarterback, but you know, up until a couple years ago and probably even coming into this season, you would say like, yeah, it's possible to win a Super Bowl with Dak. I think the, I think the kind of the, the public sentiment on that is definitely starting to fade a little bit though. It seems like, when the going gets tough, his confidence is just not there to bounce back from it. And yeah, I think, you know, there, we may be approaching the end of the, the Dak Prescott era in Dallas. Well, so here's the biggest problem. He panics way too much 
Um, I, I'm not a Cowboys fan, so I don't know everything there is to know about the Cowboys, obviously. But I was reading some things today from Cowboys fans, and they were talking about how he never audibles at the line. He never checks off. And honestly, my my counterpoint to that could be everything comes from Jerry Jones. So Jerry Jones could very well tell Mike McCarthy, you there is no audible play. He, he runs what you call. So, I mean, I'm not going to go all in on that. I get it, but... I will say, like when when the like you said, the going gets tough. It, it's he just cannot perform. Um, last night that game, man, they could not get any offense going. Now, the 49ers are an absolute machine. Let's just start there. The 49ers are excellent. They, to me, they're far and away the best team in football right now. Like I don't even think it's even a close second on who's second at this point. Um, but. There was just a lot of things last night that, man, it's just it's not a good look for him at all. It's it's not good. I just I, I like you said. I mean, people had faith in him to do to to do good things, but dude, it just seems like every season ends the same for Dallas. It always ends in disappointment, and a lot of it is always centered around Dak. So I just I don't think that they can keep rolling this very much longer. Um, Maybe maybe they try to get a quarterback this year in the draft. I don't know. I just I I know this is not going to be it for them though. Yeah, and to be clear, Dak's not a horrible quarterback by any means. You could there's a whole lot worse quarterbacks rolling out and starting games in the NFL every single weekend. But Dallas is a very very high profile team. We obviously know the goal for them every single year is to win the Super Bowl. That's what they're their fan base kind of expects that's what their owner expects and yeah if that's if that's what you're you know aiming for I don't think Dak's gonna get you there no and that's the biggest problem is they load this team up every year and like I said it usually ends the same I'm not trying to offend any Cowboys fans but I don't think I'm exactly breaking uh breaking news to you right now so yeah I just I think you got to do something. Maybe just sit him down for a game too. Like I, I, I know that does a lot to a player's psyche, but maybe it'd be best for him right now. I mean, they got a capable backup in Cooper Rush. He he did good things when Dak was out last year. I I don't know, man. I just I don't think like I remember watching the Cowboys last year when Dak was out and just thinking, man, the offense just looks like it runs smoother when Cooper Rush is out there. Now maybe that's just. Regency bias when I was watching it, but I don't know, man. I just Dak is just he's really good, but he's not good enough to get you over the Super Bowl hump. And I mean, in the end, that is the ultimate goal. And especially as a Cowboys uh, player, like Jerry wants nothing but to win Super Bowls. So, bro, you want to see Cooper Rush? I want to see Trey Lance get in there, dude. Dude, Dude still has got a fair shake. This is a guy that was the third. I mean, they traded for him. They went through the trouble of trading for him. He was the third pick in the draft just a couple of years ago, man. Give him a shot. Give him a shot. I mean, what's what's the worst that could happen? I mean, now we're basically – so he didn't play his last year of college, so now we're basically four years removed from him actually playing real football. Like, I, dude, I just don't think it's ever going to happen, man. I think I think that's already sailed. Like, I, don't, I just don't think it's going to happen. I get what you're saying. Like, you're right. He was a third overall pick. And, dude, honestly, I'm glad you brought that up. A lot of people, GMs, coaches, get fired for making a move like that and it failing. Dude, the 49ers somehow came out better. 
Never missed a beat. Like they got Brock, freaking Brock Purdy killing it, dude. How does that got to feel for Trey Lance last night? You're on the sidelines. You know this team invested so much because yeah, like you said, let's not get it twisted, dude. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, it's a results driven league. They were able to freaking get out of that with very little kind of stink on them. But dude, they gave up a lot of capital to go up and get Trey Lance. How's that got to be for Trey Lance? You're on the sideline watching the guy last pick in the draft last season go out there and throw four touchdown passes and just eviscerate the team you're on now. I mean, talk about the all-time freaking L. Dude, there, there's a lot of humbling moments in life and sports just in general. I can't imagine there's anything more humbling or disappointing than being Trey Lance last night. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people that are disappointed about last night, dude. Trey Lance has to be right up there. Not good. Um, let's move to – I'm interested to get your thoughts on this one, honestly. The Ravens' usage of Lamar. Um, the, so the Ravens – I had to look at this today just to make sure I heard this right. The Ravens were ahead that entire game until the fourth quarter. J- just take a guess how many times Lamar threw the ball yesterday. Uh, I want to say, wasn't it something like maybe low teens or high teens, low 20s? Oh, my God, no, dude. He threw the ball 38 times yesterday. Oh, yeah. That's way too much for uh, dude, Lamar Jackson. They were, dude, they were up 10 to 3, and he, he rushed the ball six times and threw it 38. And, and people on Twitter are just going off on Lamar Jackson. Dude, you're putting Lamar Jackson in a no-win situation. He Everybody knows he's not a throwing quarterback. The, the, the window for him is, I think it's in the 18 to 25 range for throws a game. The rest of the game should be nothing but read option and, and handoffs and things like that. Like, you're pay, you don't know what you paid this guy $50 million to do. I mean, I get they're trying to keep him healthy, but... Dude, if you're not going to let him do what he's supposed to do, then what's even the point of having him? Yeah, we've been on record. I've I've not been a fan of the new look Ravens offense at all so far this year. Trade him to the Falcons. They'll actually use him the way he's supposed <laughs> to be used. Dude, I'm dead serious. I'm going to beat that drum into the ground until something happens because he does not fit that Ravens team, man. They completely revamped the offense and it's not built around him. Well, Desmond Ritter's kind of, you know, he's been, you know, mid as fuck so far. But, dude, put him in the fourth quarter down. He turns into John freaking Elway all of a sudden. Uh, He played his best game I've ever seen him play yesterday by far. Like, he looked like a competent NFL quarterback yesterday. He made a lot of really good throws when the game was on the line. And, yeah, I'm not going to rip on Desmond Ritter this week. But, I mean, still, if you have the chance to get Lamar, you're jumping at that. They could have had him this offseason, dude. He was there for the taking for I don't think he, the Falcons and a lot of other teams. I don't teams. think he really was, though, man. I think that was just the Ravens floating something out there, hoping somebody would just offer them a stupid package of picks and stuff. And I just I don't think anything ever surfaced with that because I think that if they didn't sign him, he was fully prepared to sit out this season. And I think all the rest of the teams knew that. And everybody called their bluff. And then they re-signed him to $50 million a year or whatever it was. So. I don't know. Um, I, I'm going to say the 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 last one because I know you got some takes on it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Travis Kelsey, dude. I know he got hurt yesterday and and was banged up. Obviously, the rest of the game and absolutely soldiered it out. But dude, 
is are we starting to see a little bit of a Travis Kelsey slowdown here? I mean, dude, if he's played four games, has 27 catches, 222 yards, and three touchdowns, that's like, I mean, outside of the catches, the 222 is like one game for Travis Kelsey normally from what we're used to. Like, we did talk about this before the season, and I did say to you, when does the slowdown season happen? Do you think it's here, or do you think this is just a result of the Chiefs' offense not being as explosive this year? So I think it's a little bit of health, right? Dude's old, got a lot. You know, he's got some serious, you know, miles on those tires. Um, so I think it's a little bit of health, but I think more than anything else, it's just the complete lack of any other receiving threat on that team. I think defense are just keying on him and. I mean, he's still been okay, dude. He's got three touchdowns and four games played. I think he's still drawing a lot of attention for other guys. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely looking like this is – I don't think it's going to be a career year for Kelsey by any means. Yeah, it's just – I think it's weird because, I mean, I, I obviously watch as much football as I can, and the Chiefs are always on around here for where I live. And, I mean, so I, I see a decent amount of Chiefs games. I don't know, man. I, I, you're probably right. It is probably more health. And again, this is the older age, like your body starts breaking down after taking all those hits and stuff all these years. Like, I don't think everybody was like just brushing it off that he got hurt before the season. And I I remember even saying to you and you were like, "Ah, he might even play week one. I'm like, dude, I think this is a bigger deal than they're putting on. I think this is more Travis Kelsey just gutting it out and telling him, hey, he's going to play because then. I mean, the other the one yesterday looked like a slip, but I mean that could be because he's favoring the other the other knee. You know, it, I mean, it everything happens for a reason when you're when you're playing injured. So I don't know, man. I just I do not get good vibes for Travis Kelsey right now. Now I say that, and he's probably going to go out and catch fourteen balls and have two hundred yards this weekend. But I just I'm just going by what I see right now. This is just based on what I'm seeing right now, and I do not like the look of it. Let's keep it real, man. Everything Taylor Swift touches is gold nowadays. Travis Kelsey's going to be no different. He may end up being MVP this season. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that in mind, Seth. <laughs> uh, the last one, you obviously know where I'm going with this one. Uh, Mac Jones. I just I, – I don't understand how you play him again. Like, Bro, don't worry. Play Zappy, man. Get him in there, dude. Like, Zappy can go. This dude – has rewrote the NCAA record book. He looked fine last season, dude. He was tearing it up. He had one bad quarter, and uh, they went back to Mac Jones, man. Like, I get it. He's not the biggest guy. doesn't got the strongest arm. But one thing he does give you, dude, is he's competitive. I think he's a little bit of the the Ryan Fitzpatrick mold, dude. Like, he's probably going to fuck away some games being too aggressive, but he's also probably going to win you a game you maybe shouldn't have just because he's going to say screw it and just chuck it downfield, man. Um I, I think he's he's a playmaker, man. I love this dude. I was watching him at, as a hilltopper at Western Kentucky, and I thought he looked totally – I thought he looked much more, um, you know, electric and, and explosive than Mac Jones did when he was in there last season. I'm, I'm hoping Belichick, you know, finally pulls the plug and lets Zappi start this week. Dude, I saw that the pick six that he threw right out of the gate, and once I saw that, I was like, dude, you got to bench him. Like, I, I don't even know what he was even thinking on that play. Like – it was never going to get completed, first of all, and he threw it right at Tyron Matthew, and it was a floater, no less. Like, I just, I don't know, man. I know he was getting hit, but 
I mean, Mac Jones has been questioned his whole life, I'm sure. So this is nothing new for him. But dude, this is the NFL. It, it, this is not a a patient league. They don't they don't wait around for you to to feel better about yourself and get better. This is you got to win now, and that's the only thing there is. And I mean, dude, outside of his rookie year, he's proven he cannot win in the NFL consistently. He just can't. Can I hit you with some stats, man? Let's hear it, buddy. All right. So last year, Bailey Zappi started two games. Do you know what the Patriots record in those games were? Two and oh. Two and oh. He completed 65 and 92 passes for a completion percentage of 70%. That's good, right? Yep. He averaged eight and a half yards per attempt. That's good, right? Yeah. And he threw five touchdowns against three interceptions. Let me take it back. The year of football. So that was last year. The year prior to that, playing for Western Kentucky University, which it's Conference USA, but it's still Division One football. Yeah. Dude threw for 5,967 5, yards, 62 touchdowns against 11 interceptions. He broke Joe Burrow's records for the most passing yards and most touchdowns in a season in Division One football, man. Like, let this dude fucking play. I mean, at this point, what do you have to lose? Like, dude, the Patriots are god-awful. Like, I think they're even worse than I thought they were going to be, and I thought they were going to be bad as, as it was was anyway. They're worse than bad now. It, it's as bad as it's ever been in the Belichick era. And you can tell, dude. You can just tell it, it's starting to wear on him. Like, his post-game interview yesterday, he's just done with this bullshit. You can just see it in his face. And I don't blame him, man. When you're used to winning and this is the roster you got, which – Let's be clear. This is Belichick's roster. This is what he wanted. This is what oh, yeah. he drafted. So there's no one to blame but himself. And this is what I think happened. The Patriots strategy worked for so long with picking late receivers, picking up guys off the scrap heap, just making sure you had a solid tight end. That strategy worked for so long. The problem is this is not the NFL that Brady or that uh, Belichick was controlling. Like control the line of scrimmage, run the ball, throw when you need to. That's not what the NFL is now. Like if you can't throw the ball downfield, you're basically screwed in this NFL. And you got to have explosive playmakers on the outside. Yeah, none. I think you're a hundred percent right. They were able to get by with Tom Brady and just whatever weapons that they had to to surround him with. You know, it was just it was it was an outlier the years that they had like Randy Moss, you know, because um, they, they typically just had no names at wide receiver. I mean, Wes Walker was basically a total unknown before they traded for him and, and Brady made him a star. Amandola. Same thing with Julian Edelman. Amandola. Yeah, Amandola. Yeah, it was basically, for, you know, for years that there was like a, a, a undersized white wide receiver. You just knew somehow, some way Belichick was going to get him on that Patriots team and Brady was going to make him freaking be a baller, dude. So, yeah. It, dude, the other thing about Belichick, man, he's getting up there, dude. He's 71 years old. Think about that, dude. That is freaking – this is like pop-pop out there, man. Like, you guys out there listening, you know, I know we kind of have a, a – you know, I think our listener base kind of skews towards, like, you know, mid-30s or so. Think about, like, your grandparents and stuff. Like, I, I, I or think about, like, your parents. Like, I couldn't imagine my dad, you know, managing to be an NFL head coach. I mean, my dad's a, a badass dude. He's plant manager at a freaking power plant and stuff. But I still kind of think about him going out and leading, like, you know, 53, you know, young men, alpha male athletes and stuff. Like, it's a big task for a dude this old. Especially the NFL head coaches are skewing younger and younger over the last five or so years, man. So, like, you know, I, I mean, if I'm Belichick, like – I get it. There's a love of the game, dude. Go be an assistant coach at, you know, some high school out there off freaking Martha's Vineyard or something. Enjoy your life, bro. Like you have done, you're already well established as the greatest coach in NFL history, man. Like 
we, nobody wants, I, I, dude, I mean, that's going to be sad. Even though we're not, we don't, we're not like passionate Belichick fans, but as football fans, we appreciate what he's done. Nobody wants to see him end up getting canned after like, you know, a three and 14 season or something like that. I don't think any football fan wants to see that. No, dude. And no matter what, he's got to go out on his terms. Like the, the Patriots are obviously not firing Bill Belichick. Let's, let's call it for what it is. He gets to go out on his own terms, whether or not him and Kraft decide something behind the scenes, they're going to let him decide when it's time to leave. You know, like they're, they're, they're not going to just can Bill Belichick. I mean, dude is arguably the greatest coach ever. Like I think Andy Reid is slowly starting to catch a little bit. Um, but I mean, he's still got a ways he's to, up there, but he's still got a yeah. ways to go. <laughs> like he's got two rings compared to, you know, six for Belichick. I mean, honestly, I don't think, if I don't think people would bat an eye if the NFL said, hey, you know what? We had it be the Lombardi trophy for 50 something years. Yep. It's going to be the Belichick trophy from now on. I don't think people would even sweat that, man. Um, if they did something like that, that's how good he's been. It's just no, it's starting to get to the point where it's kind of sad. They need to change the coach of the year trophy to the Belichick trophy. Like there you it, go. It 100 percent should be that. I, I honestly don't know. I, they're probably waiting on him to retire, but he 100 percent should have an award named after him. The the Lombardi's got to stick just because we're so used to it, but he can easily have the coach of the year trophy. You know, I mean, it's just. Yeah, the dude is an absolute legend. We're not going to disgrace Bill Belichick on this show. Like, I'm I'm a, the biggest Patriots hater there is, but we are not going to go in on Bill Belichick. However, yeah, but go ahead. How, however, we are going to go in on one head coach on here, and that man's name is Sean Payton. We are going. Oh, Payton, we are right. going. He's getting on, everything he deserves. We dude. are going in on Sean Payton. Did you see uh, CJ Uzama's uh, pre-game huddle before the game? Did you see what he said? Uh-uh. What he said? He he was basically just getting the team fired up, and he said, "Fuck him and fuck them." Like <laughs> he's like, "We're winning this for Hack," and they did. They went out there and won it, dude. I just so badly wanted Hackett to when the when they're going out to shake hands at midfield, just Hackett come across to the overhand right, right into Peyton's face. <laughs> like, dude, I don't care if he would have got fired for that; it would have been the most worth it thing ever. Because, dude, fuck Sean Payton forever. The Saints can defend him however they want. That dude is a piece of shit, and he's getting everything yeah. he deserves. All that shit he talked while he was on Fox about how easy it is to to be an NFL head coach. Well, now you're getting it, bud. Yeah, he he's a known prick, dude. Like I said, he had some success in New Orleans, was a good football coach. Definitely seems like he's lost a little something because, you know, the the supposedly the Broncos, the only thing they were missing was a head coach. Um, I'm right there with you, man. I've never been a fan of that guy. I always thought he was an asshole. Remember, he was the head coach when the whole Bounty Gate stuff went down. This dude was suspended for an entire season by the NFL. Um so this is no saint, you know, I don't think any, you know, I don't think we're, uh, you know, getting any bad karma from kind of laughing at his, his misfortune here in the NFL. And then, you know, dude, I sent Jordan some stats today. Obviously, you know, stats do lie a little bit. I don't think Russell Wilson's been quite as good as his numbers show so far this year, but he has been fine, dude. Russell Wilson has been totally fine. This is on Sean Payton, man. This is a, a total team collapse here. You can't pin this one on, on Russ. Uh, this is just this whole team fucking falling apart before our eyes so far this season. And, dude, it's getting to the point. Obviously, they paying him a lot of money, man. So I feel like they're probably going to just, you know, maybe Russ gets shit canned somewhere else this offseason and they try to pin it on him and give Peyton another year. But, dude, if it gets much worse than this, you might see that team quit on him and maybe Peyton goes one and done. How awesome would that be to see him get freaking rolled out of town after one year in Denver? Oh, dude, it'd just be like the greatest thing ever. This is so... 
I think this is like the most telling thing. Denver had one of the more scrappier defenses last year. I'm pretty sure they were. Yeah. I mean, they were at least top 15, if not top 10. Yeah, that was the thing because they were, I want to say they started something like three and two last year, but they were winning games. It was, you know, they were winning like 13 to 10, you know, 16 to 13 type game just because the offense was absolutely horrid at the start of the year or really all season. Not to mention, dude, they brought in Vance Joseph to be the defensive coordinator. So they have the right defensive coordinator. Vance Joseph's a great coach. Like, another guy we're never slandering is Vance Joseph. So I don't know, man, it all reverts back to Sean Payton. And if that's what it is, good. Couldn't happen to a worse person. So sorry. Sorry to the saints and Broncos fans, but I'm pretty sure Broncos fans have the same feeling about him right now. So I don't think we're offending (laughs) them, but yeah, Sean Payton will never be on my Samaritan of the year award. So just look at that game against Miami, giving up 70 points. No team in the NFL should be giving up 70 points to another team unless it's just a complete breakdown of, you know, motivation, fundamentals, everything. Like, that's on coaching, dude. Like, the talent, there's not that big of a gap in talent between the best team and the worst team. At that point, that's coaching if it's going to be a freaking 50-point blowout at this level. Yeah. Um, one note I want to say is – uh we we talked about Ritter. Um, Ritter has never lost a home game in NFL or college. Now, who do I have to petition for the Falcons to only play at home from now on? Because apparently they just don't <laughs> lose there. <laughs> yeah, the, ever since they left the Georgia Dome, man, it seemed like Atlanta, who had a badass home field advantage for the longest, uh, it seemed like that kind of went out the door when they got that shiny new stadium. But but yeah, it's back, dude. Yeah, the the fans are coming out in droves too. It looks like so. That, I mean, that's definitely cool. Um, that was the last note I had to hit on, but I do got two more things for us to discuss. So we're, we're going to go race for number one as we usually do. Um, and we have to give a congratulations because the bears did win a football game for the first time in a year. So congratulations to them. Um, they are, they are no longer the team scheduled for number one. I mean, they are because they have Carolina's pick, but it's, it's not because the bears are zero and five. Let's just put it that way. Um, Dude, I still think Bryce Young is going to be really good. He played really well this weekend, I thought. Their offensive line is just so bad. Miles Sanders, I don't know what the hell he was thinking going there, but good Lord, he looks terrible. Dude, this is going to end up being a – this is going to look like a pretty bad trade in the end, though. I mean, unless Bryce Young ends up as like a Hall of Famer. Like, dude, they gave up the 10th pick. Uh, DJ Moore and now what's probably going to end up being the number one pick this year because Carolina's not going to win a lot of games, if any, this year. Um, the only good thing, though, is <laughs> dude, there is six teams that are one and four right now. Arizona, the Giants, the Patriots, the Vikings, Denver, and Chicago. The Vikings should 100% be tanking at this point. I think they should trade Kirk Cousins, honestly, because the only way they're keeping Justin Jefferson is if they have a chance at getting a different quarterback because I think that that ship sailed, and me and you said as much before this season. Like, dude, they just rode the lightning last year and won all those one-possession games, but it ain't happening anymore. 
all, all four of their losses this year won one loss games, dude. It's literally like the pendulum swung back, dude. Like literally, they're not playing horrible. They've just been, you know, not quite good enough and had some bad luck down the stretch, man. Yeah, that all every game the Vikings have lost this year has been within eight points, which is pretty crazy. I'm kind of looking at the Giants, man. I think the Giants are the biggest threat to the uh, Panthers for worst record in the league. It just seems like. There is nothing there. You know, Saquon set out again. You got to wonder at this point, dude, if the Giants think that Saquon's actually going to be a part of their future, why bring him back for this? You know, let him just kind of rest for a little bit. Maybe he doesn't come back till after after week eight or week nine. At that point, they could be looking at one, one and seven, one and eight record, man. So, yeah, I think the Giants are the biggest threat. I still feel like Justin Fields is electric enough that he's going to single handedly get the Bears to, you know, maybe maybe four wins this season. I think we're looking at the Giants and the uh, the Panthers for for worst record in the league. Okay, so let me ask you one thing going off that. So let's just say the Giants do end up with the worst record in the league and they get the number one pick. What the hell do they do? I mean, seriously, like, do they just take the King's Ransom for the number one pick? Because it's going to be a King's Ransom to get Caleb Williams. I mean, it's not like you can just let Daniel Jones walk. Like, they owe him something like $200 million. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to eat that contract. I think you still go ahead and draft unless you think that he can somehow bounce back cuz he looked okay last season. Not not a world beater, but he looked he looked fine last year. I mean, he won a playoff game on the road against the Vikings. Um I don't again I though, think, but I don't think it's him though, dude. Like their offensive line stinks. That they, they have no running backs. I mean, they're starting Matt Breida, and they sign no receivers in the offseason. Their number one receiver is Darren Waller, and he's a tight end. Like, dude, they they did Daniel Jones no favors either. I agree. There's not a lot of talent at all on that offense outside of Saquon. Um, but you know, obviously we don't we don't have copies of the playbook. We don't know what the actual play calls were. Did you see that clip? when he threw that pick on Sunday of, or on, excuse me, on, of uh, Brian Dayball walking over and showing the, uh, showing the tablet to him and then just tossing it away in disgust. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Like I said, to me, that tells me that at least whether right or wrong, at least in the coach's eyes, um, you know, it's it was on Danny Dimes. So I think they may pull the plug on him. And the good thing is with the rookie contract structure now, like you can handle having a high priced backup and uh, and have a, a high rookie, you know, a high draft pick for a rookie quarterback because this QB class should be pretty good coming out. Um, so I, I think you got to go ahead and draft the quarterback, man. You know, Tom Brady, guys like that, they're the outlier, dude. Traditionally, man, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are coming out of the, you know, the first round and really the, the top half of the first round. So if you got a chance to get a guy like freaking Drake May or Caleb Williams, I think you got to go ahead and just pull the trigger and deal with whatever the salary, you know, ramifications are on the back end. I agree. Okay, um, I feel like we need to at least do this once every couple weeks. Um, let's do our top five teams in the NFL currently. We're we're about a third. We're over a fourth of the way through the season. Let's just say that we're almost a third yeah. of the way through. I feel like now's a good time to kind of go through because I mean, dude, five weeks in gives you a pretty good idea of what these teams are looking like. So um, you go ahead and start. Give me your top five teams in the NFL right now. So surprisingly, I'm going NFC heavy, man. I thought coming into the year that the AFC was going to be a lot better. So at number five, I'm going Detroit. I think they're for real. They had that little blip week too, but since then they've been kicking ass. Jamison Williams back. I think he's going to add a spark to them. Um, Their offensive coordinator is crushing it, dude. So yeah, I got Detroit at number five. I think they're a legit contender to come out of the NFC. Um, Number four, I'll go the Chiefs. They haven't been impressive, but they are the champs. They're holding the fucking belt until somebody takes them out. 
Uh, so I'll go with the Chiefs at number four. Number three, I'll go Eagles. You know, at some point, you just kind of look at the record. I know if you the the Eagles fans have kind of been up in arms that the team hasn't looked absolutely outstanding so far this year, but um, they've still been been doing their thing, and they're, they're undefeated, man. I think their O line and D line is enough to that they're going to be a tough out. I think at the minimum, they're going to the NFC Championship. They're going to be one of the last four teams we see this year, and you know, it's just going to depend on if if Jalen Hurst can can put enough points on the board to get them back to the Super Bowl. Number two, I'll go the Dolphins. Um, they have, if you saw the stats, they have the most, I can't remember if it was the most points, definitely the most, most yards, yards gained ever. Yep. Yeah, most yards ever gained through five uh, five weeks. This freaking, a, was it A-Chan or A-Chain? I know he's gone back and forth. How are you pronouncing his last name? A- that running back a- they got? A-Chan. Yeah, freaking incredible, dude. He's like, hurt. dude is just, he got hurt? What was the injury? He's got a knee injury right now, and they're not hmm. they're not giving much updates on it right now. Dang, I know he had another 75-yard touchdown run uh, yesterday. So they've been just crushing it. I mean, sadly, you know, the crazy thing is I think they'll be fine even if they lose him. Raheem Mostert's looked great so far this year as well. So I got them at number two, and then number one, the Niners, dude. Really the only concern on the Niners is just are they peaking too early because they have looked absolutely unstoppable on both sides of the ball this year. My my top five is the exact same as yours, exact order and everything. Like, I just – I wanted to put Philadelphia at two just because they're undefeated. And I mean, dude, through five weeks being undefeated is no slouch, but hell no, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I still think the bills are going to be completely fine. That trip to London, it does a lot of teams no good. And then they remember Jacksonville stayed there, dude. We talked about that last week, dude. Jacksonville stayed in London. That was the first time a team ever had ever done that. So they totally, they totally skipped out on the all the headaches and hassles and the jet lag of, of traveling over there, man. I, I'm with you, dude. I still, gun to my head, I still think the Bills could win it, man. I just think that team is battle-tested. Battle I think they got the mental toughness. Um, and I just think this is their year, man. I believe it in my heart, despite the results being a little bit less than, you know, what we'd want to see through five weeks. But, yeah, I'm with you on, on the Bills as, like, my super close number six right now. All right, man. I think that's it for headlines. All right, let's get into UniWatch. All right, so there were a lot of teams rocking um, some all-white away jerseys over the weekend. Only Only three true alternates, though. Start off with Thursday night, the Commanders rocking the all black i kind of like this look for them man what do you think yeah i mean it it fit the bill they definitely looked like they were out there for a funeral when they're getting destroyed by the bears so (laughs) looked really great (laughs) i thought the jerseys are pretty tough though dude uh sheena so my my wife the lovely uh chick foley aka sheena uh she happened to be popular watching the game and she didn't even know what team that was man she had a critique she said doesn't look like Washington. She wants more, you know, she thinks they should have more, uh, you know, maroon and, and gold or maroon and yellow uh, mixed into the the uniform. What do you, I, I think they still look pretty tough, though, even with just, you know, the minimal uh, color hits on there. Yeah, I like them. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them at all. We also saw the Cardinals rocking their all black uniforms. I thought these were tough. They stuck with the glossy helmet. You know, the last few years, the matte helmet's kind of been the 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 style, dude. I thought that super duper shiny black helmet though looked pretty tough, man. I was a fan of these. Yeah, the Cardinals, those were those look really good on field, and we had talked about those before the season. They looked good. 
And then last, the Broncos. This is another one that I could, I like the uniform in the like the preseason picks, but it just did not translate on the field, man. I don't know if they needed to have like maybe blue pants or something to break it up, but the all orange with the white helmets, I was not a fan. Didn't like it either. There was a there was just nothing about that that I enjoyed. To be completely honest with you, so yeah, I'm with you on that. Did you see the, uh, you know, Colorado was getting a lot of uh, press. They rocked some some new helmets, like the super glossy black helmets they were rocking this week. I know you're not a big uh, Colorado Buffaloes fan. What did you think of their look, eking out that win against Arizona State? Yeah, I mean, they, they looked cool. I feel like they should do something different every week, a la Oregon. Like, they have a lot of different color combinations they can use. So, yeah, I mean, it, it looked cool. If we don't talk a lot about college football, I do got to say, you know, Jordan's been super anti-Colorado. I've been all about it. I was not a fan of uh, Shador going on flexing on the student section when they barely beat like the absolute worst team in the Pac-12. Just not a good look, dude. Okay, so let's just get this straight. I am not a fan because I'm a Nebraska fan and those are our rivals. So I'm never going to root for them no matter who is the coach or who the players are. So it, it, it doesn't have any underlying meaning. It's just I don't like them because I grew up not liking them. I mean, their fans sucked when I was a kid. They threw piss snowballs at the visiting team. So, yeah, it's just it, it, it's not a good and not a good thing between the, the two of us. So. Yeah, but I don't like that either, dude. I thought that was extremely tacky for him to do that. I mean, dude, you had to eke He's out. better a, than that, man. Yeah, you had to eke out a win against a dog shit team. Like, you shouldn't be celebrating that like you just won the Super Bowl. Like, come on, man. Have a little bit of humility, dude. Yeah, and I think, you know, whether it's Dion's coaching or the scheme or what, I think they've definitely kind of like punched over their heads, you know, out of their weight class so far this year. I think their record is a little bit better than the actual team is. But Shador is the real deal, at least as a college quarterback. He's been very, very good. And there's just no need to do that, man. Like you got out of there with a win, like celebrate. That's fine. I just I thought that was a little bit tacky. And this is coming from somebody who typically does not mind like shit talking and, you know, doing stuff like that. I thought that was a little bit kind of just it took a little bit of the luster off of him, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, so before we get into the meat and potatoes and start picking next week's games, um, what are you drinking this week, man? So I am drinking – I went away from the Halloween beers tonight. I am dr- drinking a beer called Tank the Frank. Uh, it's an 8.6% double IPA, and it is brewed at – this is brewery Gel- – Gezelig? I don't know. Uh, it's in Newton, Iowa. I don't know. It's really hard to say. Gezelig. Sure. What kind of beer is it you said? It's in a double IPA. What's that? What's the ABV on that dog? 8.6. God damn. But it has Frank the Tank on the can, so I had to buy it. Nice. Oh yeah. I am drinking something from uh, Wicked Weed Brewing out of Asheville, North Carolina. Kind of the the birthplace of the craft beer movement in the state. So this is their pernicious India pale ale, kind of just standard India pale ale. It's got a mix of New Zealand and Australian hops. Uh, This was actually the silver medal recipient at the American style India pale ale competition at the great American beer festival, man. So yeah, and this is a 7.3%. So it's coming in just under double. I don't know if it's, I feel like in my experience, double is pretty much anything over 8% ABV. Um, I don't know if there's something else that like technically pushes it over the limit from being a single to a double other than the the alcohol content. Do you, Jordan? I do not. 
Yeah, the seven point three. So this is a, this is definitely heavy for an IPA. So we'll see how uh, how the show goes down the stretch. You guys know typically the better, the more buzzed we are, the more fun it is for you guys. All right, you ready to get into our week six picks? I am. Rich over trouble water, ice in my muddy water. Rich off a mixtape, got rich off a mixtape. Probably shouldn't be driving. Had to let, uh, had a little Drake run a little bit, man. Before we get into the football, dude, how much better was Take Care Drake than uh, for all the dogs, Drake? It's night and day, dude. I, I'm. This might be a hot take, but I don't enjoy the new one at all, man. It's just I don't either, dude. Like you know, I kind of around like 2017, 2018, I really kind of took a hard turn away from hip hop um, and got back into country music. And, you know, Jordan can tell you, me and him, that was another big part of our relationship, dude. Like our friendship when we first started, it was football, sneakers and music. You know, wrestling kind of came into the mix a couple years later, but I was as deep into hip hop as it gets, man. Um, and I just kind of pivoted. And I feel like all the people, you know, aside from the the song he's got with J. Cole, First Person Shooter, the rest of that, he's got a bunch of features with people that I either A, don't even know, and B, don't like. I know that probably makes me sound like the old guy, um, but I'm just keeping it real, dude. I love, like, Take Care is one of my all-time favorite albums, but yeah, this shit just, yeah, I, I do not, aside from First Person Shooter, I do not care to hear anything off the new album ever again. Yeah, it's it's definitely not my favorite either, and I get it, dude, like, it's weird man if there's just it's such a weird time in in rap music like sexy red doing her yay yay thing is just it's, <laughs> it's not it man i just i i don't know man i just it, it's so weird now but yeah i mean it it is what it is just not my favorite so yeah i i know we probably never sounded older than we do right now but yeah i cannot get with the current hip-hop scene get off at my all dude, like yeah, right around the time guys like Lil Uzi Vert and like Twenty One Savage and stuff were coming up, I was just like, "All right, I'm I'm done here, dude." Kind of like Drake's generation, like Drake, J Cole, Kendrick Lamar, like you know, uh, Bob. Kind of when those guys were coming through, that was the last real wave I was on as far as hip hop, and now I'm back just into into country. All right, all right. Tell us how we did last week, man. Well. I just realized that uh, we actually did have different picks tonight. So you picked the Raiders. I picked the Packers. So we actually tied last week. Eight and yes, six. Dude. Yes. Peek behind the curtain. Normally I have Jordan just reveal the results of the picks and uh, the, the million dollar bets live on the air. But because we did that interview before we actually got on for the main show tonight, I, I, had, I couldn't resist. I had asked Jordan and I've been going through the last hour and a half thinking that I lost on picks again. And I was now down three to one, dude. Hey, so let, let, yeah. me, let me tell you something though when i was calculating the picks yesterday at about it was about eight o'clock last night when i realized the niners were gonna win so i'm going through like our first six picks and just let let me uh let me go through this with you real quick because all of our picks were the same through the first six we had washington l bills (laughs) l colts w (laughs) patriots l Ravens L, Texans L. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh yeah, my we're not God. supposed to go back and revisit, man. That's like sports video 101, dude. We got to maintain our credibility <laughs> no, no matter what. No, that was great. Dude, the fact we started out one and five and both ended eight and six is borderline incredible. Yeah, true. We got a, we got on a heater there at the end, man. All right. So that means after five weeks, we're setting it. Uh, you, you've won two weeks, I've won one, and we've tied two, correct? Uh, yep. Yeah, we've tied the last two. Oh, no, we've tied the last three. 
And whoa, four. Oh, I didn't update the standings after the Monday night game. Yep, that's right. I've won okay. two, you've won one, and we've tied two. Cool, man. All right, let's get into week six. So we're starting off Thursday night. We already were hitting the, you know, the Undertaker's music to kick this one off, man. Uh, the, uh, the funeral procession might be starting. The Denver Broncos are rolling into Arrowhead to face the Chiefs on Thursday night football. You know who I'm picking. We can just move on from this one. So, yeah, I think it goes without saying we both picked the Chiefs, man. Do you think they stomp that ass or do you think the Broncos put up a spirited, you know, battle? I mean, it's Thursday night football, so it's a little bit of a wild card. You never really know what's going to happen on these games. I mean, I I think this could easily be a 14 to 21 point game, honestly, dude. I just the Denver Broncos are so bad, man. Like I just, I don't see them rolling into Arrowhead with a hostile crowd and just all of a sudden figuring it out. So no, I think the chiefs win big. Yeah. Same. All right. This is a tricky one, dude. The Ravens rolling into Nashville to face the Titan or no, excuse me. They're playing in London, dude. So yeah, this one's kind of, this is another wild card game, dude. Might wonder what I'm talking about. Early Sunday morning, the uh, Ravens and the Titans in the UK. God, but there, this has been a pretty solid rivalry during the Lamar Jackson years. You know, that year he was MVP, the Titans bounced them from the playoffs. The following year, uh, Lamar rode into Nashville and bounced the Titans from the playoffs. So these guys have uh, – it's been some pretty competitive games every time the Titans and Ravens have faced each other during the Lamar era. I'm not going to lie. I have zero faith in either one of these teams right now. Like, they're both really well coached, but that's about as far as it goes right now. The Ravens cannot figure out how to run an offense around a guy who's one of the most electric players in football. The Titans continue to throw Ryan Tannehill out there. Derrick Henry starting to split carries with Tajay Spears, which is kind of concerning. I'm gonna Spears is pretty good though, dude. He is. He Spears is. can kind of go, man. They they found something with him, but but yeah, you're right, dude. It, it definitely it's another Derrick Henry's another guy that it looks like the end is is coming a little bit closer and closer. I'm gonna go Ravens just because, dude. I think they're better than the Titans, and I just don't think the Ravens can afford to lose another game right now. I mean, the NFC or the AFC North, excuse me, is not is not great at all, and I just feel like they lose another game, and I, I just feel like they're going to be in a really bad spot. So, just for that reason, I'm going Ravens. Yeah, I agree. I think if this game is in Nashville. I'd still probably pick the Ravens, but I'd be very, very tempted to go Titans. I wouldn't be shocked one bit to see the Titans go in there and win. They've been up and down so far this year. And if nothing else, they are a tough team. And Vrabel's a great coach who's going to come up with a good game plan. But end of the day, I think uh, I think the Ravens win this one. Yeah. All right. We got the uh, previously mentioned Washington Commanders coming into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium to face the Atlanta Falcons. Make it 4-0 at home. Atlanta's not losing to that team, dude. I just I think so, too, man. I think I think we see the Falcons win and we get some serious buzz. So I don't know. I'm, you probably already know this, but did you know Michael Vick's coming out to get the crowd hyped yep. up before the game? Yeah. So he, he's going to uh, blare the train horn and stuff like that before the game. So, yeah, I... Dude, they got to put more presentation into the pregame stuff to get um, the fans in there earlier. Because, I mean, it used to be awesome, dude. Remember the Samuel L. Jackson Rise Up video they used to play? You get fucking goosebumps before that game was about to start. The problem has always been with Atlanta for the one o'clock games. Like, dude, Atlanta still is in the Bible Belt. So, a lot of people go to church in Atlanta on Sundays. So, that's one of the major gripes when they play early. It's a late arriving crowd. Yeah, it's always late arriving. So, like, anytime you can bring back Michael Vick or someone of that ilk to get the crowd fired up and maybe convince them to be there on time. Always a good idea. 
Yeah, dude. So not only is Michael Vick's going to be there for the pregame, Matt Ryan is on the call for this game for uh, uh, for the TV presentation, dude. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, good vibes all over the place, man. And, hey, dude, if Desmond Ritter's struggling, man, you got two quarterbacks in the house, dude. Throw a jersey on them, send them out there on the field and see what they can do. Man, I'm going to have tears in my eyes and fucking piss rolling down my leg on Sunday as <laughs> Matt Ryan's <laughs> calling my, my team's game. Like, it's going to be sad vibes all around. We we were texting about this a few weeks ago, man. That's one thing that football definitely needs to borrow from wrestling, the ability to just kind of seamlessly integrate legends from years gone by into the current product, dude. I was thinking about that when the Vikings uh, had that last second drive um, at the, uh, you know, they had got it down to like the 25-yard line for the last play yesterday. I was thinking, what if like Randy Moss's music here right now and they brought him out for this last play to throw it up to him? Bring out uh, Robert Smith, Randy Moss, and Chris Carter. <laughs> yeah, dude. Or, you know, the Falcons are going for a two-minute drill all of a sudden. Oh, my God. That's Matt Ryan's music. Julio runs out. Roddy White. <laughs> Algie Crumpler. I'd probably cry. <laughs> all right. We got... This is going to be an interesting one, dude. We got to kind of... None of these games got a lot of sizzle. Um, kind of like just looking at the slate. But when you sit there and uh, think about how it's going to come, how it's going to play out, dude. We got some interesting games this weekend. The three and one Seattle Seahawks traveling to Cincy to face the resurgent Joe Burrow led Cincinnati Bengals. The Seahawks off a of bye, no less, too. Man, dude. I Cincy think, looked good on Sunday, dude. I think they might have found something. I think the Bengals did find something. Um, I One of my buddies is a, re- a really big Bengals fan. I told him this might sound asinine to say out loud, but, dude, I think not having T Higgins on the field actually helped Joe Burrow. Cause dude, when you have someone as good as Jamar chase, he should be getting targeted basically every other play. Right. Um, so I, I feel like that helped them a lot on offense yesterday. They just, they didn't overthink it. They just threw it to Joe or uh, Jamar chase and it, it made magic happen. So <sighs> dude, this is such a hard game to pick. I'm going to go Bengals just because they have the better quarterback. Yeah, I'm going Cincy just because it's at home, dude. I, I, You know, this is another one I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks went in there and, you know, put the clamps on them. And, and we found out that performance against the Cardinals was just fool's gold for the Bengals. But, um, but yeah, gun to my head, I'm saying Cincy wins. Yep. I think you may be onto something, man, about, you know, just – kind of just forcing the ball to Jamar Chase, man. And because you remember that that year they went to the Super Bowl, uh, Joe Burrow had that famous quote, you know, they were talking about the success him and Jamar had as a connection. He said, you know, sometimes he just thinks, screw it, Jamar's down there somewhere and just chucks the ball downfield and sees what happens, man. So, yeah, I definitely think you might be onto something. Uh, we got an AFC showdown coming up next. The Jaguars off a huge win against the Bills. The uh, strategy of staying in, in the UK two weeks straight paid off. They have the Gardner Minshew-led Colts coming into Jacksonville to face them. Man. I think Jags roll, man. I, I think, you know, Colts put up a good showing on Sunday. Uh, I, I still think the Jaguars are the best team in the AFC South, though, and I think they start to get a little bit of separation going this week. Yeah, it definitely seems like they've turned a corner with these two London games, so I'm going to go the Jags as well. All right. The oh, 13.5 point spread on this one, man. The 0-5 Panthers going down to Miami to face the Dolphins. Uh, they, they might need to up that point spread to like 45, honestly. Dolphins are going to absolutely steamroll them. 
Yeah, this should be bad, man. And the Dolphins' defense, even though it's not outstanding, they definitely are the type that could give um, Bryce Young some trouble, man. They're they're big on like you know just getting the pass rush, like blitz happy, get after the quarterback. I think they're the you know a, a really really tough matchup for a rookie QB, and obviously the Dolphins' offense is a bad matchup for anybody right now. I think they cover this spread. What do you think? It's thirteen and a half. I think they cover it easily. Well, yeah, I just said that could be a forty point spread, and I'd still feel good about it. So yeah. All right, we got the uh, the basement of the eight, of the NFC North, the Vikings and the Bears going at it in Chicago. Well, it doesn't sound like Justin Jefferson's going to play, so that immediately knocks Minnesota down quite a bit for me. So I'm going to go the Bears get two straight wins. I think the Vikings win, dude. I'm still a Kirk Cousins believer, man. I, uh, the, you know... The, like I said, the four games they lost, it's all been one score. It's not like they've been getting the bricks beat off of them. I yeah. think Vikings get back the on the, is, the winning dude, side of things. The problem is, Jay Jettas isn't playing, that team is nowhere near as good, though. But against the Bears, do you have to be that good? Sure. <laughs> all right, so we're different. Is this the first game we've gone different on this week? Yep. All right, so could it come down to uh, Minnesota and Chicago for the, uh, the picks week? All right, uh, San Francisco going on the road. This could this could be a sneaky one, man. They got the Browns coming off the bye, dude. You know, the Deshaun Watson looked pretty decent the last game he played. 5-0 49ers traveling to Cleveland to face the 2-2 two and two Browns. No, it's it, San Francisco's winning this game easily. They're going to make the Browns offense look absolutely miserable. They're, I'm not even going to try to make this one interesting, the Niners roll. I was... I'm glad you went first. I was kind of thinking about making the uh, the the sneaky, you know, surprising, interesting pick of saying the Browns are going to pull off the upset, but your level of confidence convinced me, yeah, I'm not going to get cute on this one. Niners win. Yep. All right. The three and two Saints traveling down to Houston to face the two and three Texans. I think despite having the worst record, I think the Texans are a far better team than the Saints, and I think they kick their freaking ass, dude. <sighs> Yeah, that that game yesterday by the Saints is not an indictment on how good the Saints are. It's just more of how bad the or the Patriots are. So I agree with you. I'm going to go Texans. All right. Speaking of the Patriots, we got the, the uh, Bill Belichick going up against Josh McDaniels, the one and four Patriots traveling to Vegas to face the Raiders, fresh off a big win on Monday Night Football. I'm going to go Raiders, dude. I just I. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to bench Mac Jones yet. I think he at least gets one more game. So with that said, I'm I'm just going to go with the Raiders. I'm going to go Raiders. Can I make a caveat that if they announce that Zappi starting before the game, nope. I'm switching my pick over to the nope. Patriots? There is no caveats. It's locked in on this show, so you have to decide right, right now. All right. I'll go Raiders then for my official pick, but just so you guys know, if Zappi starts – they're going to win. If Zapp- play Zappy, don't be crappy. That's the motto for, for New England. Jesus. All right, here's an, this is one's interesting, dude. I'm, I'm going to let you go first on this one, dude, because I, I, I want to hear your take, man. The 4-1 and one Detroit Lions traveling down to face the 3-1 and one Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This one's going to be in Raymond J. Stadium down in Tampa. It ain't interesting. The Lions are winning. I, I, dude, we just talked about the Lions being one of the five best teams in football. I just don't think they're going to get beat by a Baker Mayfield led team. I'm Baker's playing well, but dude, 
like let's be serious dude the lions are on a, a different level right now like they're the the bucks are three and one but is it really a convincing three and one like are you looking at them like all right man this is an actual contender to win some playoff games no the lions are the team to win the playoff games yeah, you're definitely right, man. I think this will definitely, you know, we we gave the Lions their flowers, dude, talking about them as a top five team. They this will be one where they prove it, right? The Lions of old would totally go down to Tampa and blow this game. Um, if the Lions are for real, they need to go down and handle their business, and not just win, but win convincingly. Yeah, I just I think the Lions are on a different level than them. Dan Campbell's an excellent head coach, so yeah, I'm I'm going Lions. Did you see the interview that uh, Baker did with ESPN this week? I did. It was really good. Yeah, I loved it, man. He kind of said what all the fans, you know, the same thing we've been saying, um, you know, on this show so far this year and on the long balls last year with our good friends over at the Turnbuckle Tavern that he said even he was confused about why it ended so abruptly in Cleveland. You know, he talked about how they had that great 2020, se- 2020 season and then he was injured all 2021 and was planning on coming back and kicking ass. And they just, you know, were seemed like they couldn't wait to just dump him for the pervert. Sad, man. Really is sad, but... Yeah, I'm glad he got another shot because he is a good player. I mean, he might be a bit cocky, but if you're in the NFL, you should be a bit cocky. So, Yeah, you could do a lot worse than Baker Mayfield starting QB. All right, we got the 1-4 Cardinals going to L.A. to face the 2-3 uh, and three Rams. I, I think the Rams get this one done, man. The Rams are uh, they're a, a very, very good 2-3 and three team, and I think they handle their business and get back to 500 this week. Dude, let's talk about Cooper Cup coming back and looking like he ain't missed a step. Like, that dude is so good. Watching him run routes is just – it's like football porn, man. He's just – dude is so good. Like, you know the ball's yeah. coming to him and you still can't stop it. Yeah, he's the man. So, I think you're going Rams also? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Rams. All right. The uh, other game in the late window, the Eagles traveling to New York to face the Jets. Eagles. Dude, we, we said it earlier. Yeah, have these games been impressive? No. But, dude, they're winning in the trenches every week. And, I mean, a lot of times that's where a game's decided. And if if you're putting a gun to my head, it's going to be a close game. I'm taking the team that you know is going to block better and you know that can rust the passer better. So I'm going Eagles. Yeah, I think I just saw – I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I saw one of the Jets' starting offensive linemen is out for the season now also. So – just brutal year. You know, the Jets have had a really, really tough start of the, of the season also, man. Aside, you know, they had the game against the Patriots, which going against Belichick's always tough. They had a little bit of a week off against the Broncos last week, but it seems like they've been having like, you know, I, I guess it's the Aaron Rodgers effect. They loaded up on the big primetime opponents for them in the early season. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, but yeah, I think Eagles get to 6-0. All right, Sunday night football. Oh, God. 14-point spread. This, God, man, Brian Dayball is going to be hurting looking over at the sidelines, seeing what, you know, the team he used to have. I think the Bills absolutely fucking wrecked the Giants and the the kind of death spiral continues for the the Daniel Jones era in New York. They, yeah, it's going to get ugly really fast. It sounds like Vaughn Miller is going to play Sunday night too, so, oh, boy. Awesome. Oh, boy. Oh boy! All right, and then we have a super intriguing game for Monday night, man. The, you know, the Cowboys, despite being three and two, there is a ton of drama and turmoil around that team right now, and they are going up against the two and two Chargers, who also got a, you know, an embattled head coach. Like this would, it's going to be a ton of heat on whichever team loses this one. How do you see this one playing out? It's in L.A. This is the two. This is the showdown of the two bozo head coaches. Is what this is the showdown of. Um. 
I just think Dallas's defense is good enough to get this done. I still don't trust Brandon Staley at all, dude. I just I I cannot get past it. That whole team is hurt too. Like the last time we saw Herbert, he basically had like a, a metal hand going on. So that's that's it's like not- a Monty Python sketch, dude. <laughs> just losing body parts as the game goes on. <laughs> that's not good. I mean, they already lost Mike Williams. Something's clearly wrong with Austin Eckler. Like it's worse than they're disclosing because dude hasn't played since week one. So I'm gonna go Cowboys just based on their defense. Um, yeah, I agree. I think the Cowboys, I think they are a little bit closer to the team we saw those first two weeks than what we saw last night in San Francisco. And I think, like you said, I think the defense has a big enough game to overcome, you know, a a pick or two by Dak. And I think Niners, or excuse me, Cowboys win. Okay. All right. Let's get to million dollar bets. Uh, uh uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, Jordan, tell us how we did last week. All right, so uh, Seth with blunder of the season, Commanders minus seven for $100,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it looked like Seth was going to go 0-2 until the Ravens uh, went went straight up Falcon. So he hit Steelers plus 4.5 for 50K. I went 2-0. and I hit Kansas City minus 5.5 and, and Lions minus 9, both for 50K. That puts us on the season. Seth is five and five, and he is minus fifty k. I am six and four plus one hundred k. So, I mean, dude, if you've been following along with us, like, dude, you're ahead right now on money. If you're just betting straight yeah, up, you had fifty thousand, dude. Yeah, you're just betting what what we're betting. I mean, we're not taking any of the juice here, but you're still ahead. All right, I have two bets for this. so I'm gonna start off conservative. Obviously, I took a big swing and a miss in a, in a, in a game involving an NFC East team last week. I'm gonna go more conservative. I'm putting 25k on the Jets to cover the spread against the Eagles. Man, the Eagles have again, like we talked about, been a little bit less than impressive from game to game so far this year. And I think the you know I think Robert Sala is a really good coach. I, I still believe in Zach Wilson. I think they cover the six and a half point spread. So I'm going to put 25K on them. Okay. All right. And then my second bet, I'm dropping 150K. Michael Vick in the house. Matt Ryan in the house. Dude, 30 birds are going to rise up, dude. And they are dead. They're going to crush that two and a half point spread against the commanders. I'm putting 150K on that. God damn it, dude. That is one of my bets. And I have that lined up all week. Like, I, I, I just. I just think the Falcons come correct on Sunday, bro. I think it's going to be an old school, you know, mid 2000s type uh, environment. And I think we see the Dirty Birds roll. All right. So Atlanta is one of my bets. And I actually am going to step up my game this week and go 100K on both of my bets. So I'm going to put 100K on two and a half Atlanta. And I'm also putting 100K on Detroit minus three and a half at Tampa. I think that's risky, dude. I mean, they should win, but you never know, dude. If, if it ends up being a muggy day down there, dude, they uh, they may run out of gas, you know, three quarters in. But I mean, can't you got to risk it for the biscuit, Seth? <laughs> All right, you ready to hit some listener mail? I am. All right, so first off, let me uh, let me find this text from uh, from Jay Bone. He hit us with a uh, a text one for the goal line. All right. Uh, John Swallow, our pod foundation brother from the coming down the aisle podcast. Check him out. If you are a wrestling fan says, is it time to pull Dak? 
I mean, uh, my answer on that is is no, dude. I think you know there's still hope for this season, and I don't I don't think that Trey Lance or Cooper Rush give you an immediate upgrade on your chances to win the Super Bowl. So I think you kind of just ride the storm out with him. Yeah, I I don't think you can pull the plug on him just yet, but I think the the it, it's his uh it, it's getting shorter by the day the the callers for Cooper rush are just going to keep getting more and more. So I think he's, uh, he's definitely on his last leg here. So he better keep better get it going. All right. Jason Koenig says, what's the wrestling equivalent of Mario Cristobal's decision to not kneel in the Miami versus Georgia tech game? Did you see this Jordan? This was one of the stupidest plays I've ever seen in my entire life. And dude, I've been on this. He did it in Oregon also, dude. I've he been, had a game he lost at Oregon like that when I, he was head coach there. I've been on this planet almost 39 years, and I have never – I I just – like, what is even the point of that? Okay, so for those who don't know, Miami is up four points with 26 seconds left, and Georgia Tech – Georgia Tech's out of timeouts. They have no timeouts. So normally you would just kneel on the ball, right? No, he runs the ball up the middle with his running back. Georgia Tech punches the ball out, recovers it, and then uh, scores a touchdown on the last play of the game to win the game. And, dude, that's a fireable offense. That's twice he's done that since he's been a coach, dude. That is So I was reading up on it today. My my good buddy, he's a fellow Foley fan member, dude, James Zushi, dude. He's a diehard Miami fan. He's legit like having a nervous breakdown over this, man. Like so I was reading up on it. Turns out so you know Miami was 5 and 0 coming into this game. They haven't gone in victory formation once this year. It's like for whatever reason this coach just does not like kneeling the ball. He likes handing it off. And he was the head coach at Oregon prior to this. And they Oregon lost a game in similar fashion. Like to me, it's just it's malpractice, man. The the stakes are so high when you're up doing division one A football or the NFL. There's so much money. There's so much investment from the fans. Like you just cannot do this, man. And this guy's done it twice now. Like, yeah, I don't know how you justify it, man. To to answer the question, the wrestling equivalent would be like when the heel has got the face, the baby face beat down, but instead of taking the three count, he lifts it, you know, he lifts him up off the mat and then, you know, ends up getting rolled up or something for the loss. That's that's the wrestling equivalent. But yeah, just I mean, dude, if you're a fan of one of those teams, how do you, how can you freaking stomach that? Yeah, I, I couldn't. I'd be so pissed. All right. So Dougie Nunya, I'm pretty sure he saw the headline on the Facebook post saying we need listener mail and said, say no more fam and jumped right in. He says outside of anyone that has held any golden NXT, who would you call up to the main roster and why? If you could go back in time and attend any live event, what would it be? And what was your first car and what do you drive now? And why don't Seth and Sheena have mullets? So we're going to take three of those four questions and save them for the next Chick Foley show. We will go, what was your first car and what do you drive now, though? So hit us with that, Jordan. I drove a 1989 Mercury Cougar for my first car, and my wow. my current vehicle is a 2020 Jeep Gladiator. Nice, dude. Yeah, so my first car was a 91 Chevy Blazer. It was the uh, the forest green with the cream stripes down the bottom, man, like super duper fresh. Oh, yeah. And uh, my current car is a uh, 09 Tacoma, dude. So, yeah, it's, you know, not the flashiest car, but it's paid up, and, and I love it, man. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm rolling in. 
All right. Juddy JB says, is it time for the Pats to bench Mac Jones and put Zappy in? I think we're both in agreement that it's time to it's Zappy time, right? Yeah, we don't need to discuss this any longer. All right. Rob Virginio says, what do you guys think is Brock Purdy's ceiling? Dude has nine TDs to zero, inter- zero interceptions, has the highest QB rating in the league, and looked great last night. Is his success more a sign of his talent or Shanahan's system? We are living in Brock Purdy's ceiling right now. He is in his ceiling right now. Like, dude, if anybody's going to try to tell me that this dude is going to get better than this, like, you're fooling yourself, man. Like, this dude is in his ceiling right now. Like, it could all come crashing down at some point. I don't think it will. Just, I think he's in a perfect, I do think he's in the perfect system, dude. Shanahan's system is so QB friendly. I mean, we're not going to act like it didn't happen. Matt Ryan's best year ever happened in Shanahan's system. Like it's very QB friendly, but he's definitely living his ceiling right now. Like, dude, I just, I mean, how much better could he honestly play than he's playing right now? I mean, it'd be tough for anybody to play yeah. better, better than he is right now, dude. Like, yeah, he's wrecking it. I think I, I agree with you, man. I think Brock Purdy is a little bit, underrated across the you know league and across the NFL media landscape. I feel like people downplay him a little bit too much, but I, I'm kind of with you, man. If he was on another team, I don't think he'd be nearly as good. I legit think he's just the perfect quarterback for the Kyle Shanahan system, dude. That's a it's tailor made for for quarterbacks to be successful in. And I think he's um you know he's a a humble guy. I think he's out there to go out and just execute and make the right play for his teammates. I don't think he has any of that like you know Jameis Winston or like Josh Allen like wild streak in him that. You know, I'm not taking this this 10 yard open guy. I'm going to chuck it 50 yards downfield to make the highlight throw. I don't think there's any of that in him at all. I think he's just the perfect guy to go out and execute the game plan that's laid out in front of him. Yeah, agreed. All right. Up next, we have another question from Jay Bone. John Swallow says, is it time to just move the Jaguars to London? Also, how much of an advantage did that give to the Jags? Talking about uh, staying in London for the week. No, it, it's not time to move them to London yet. I do think we eventually do get a London team. But, dude, just think how shitty that would be to be the London team. I mean, they would have to do it some, like, they play three home games in a row and then they come over for three away games in the States. But, I mean, dude, is that fair to anyone else, though? Because the, the U.S. teams are going to be getting screwed every time they go over there because, I mean, the Jags will already be acclimated to that time difference and, I just I, I don't think we're there yet, but I do think eventually we'll get there. So you're right, like during the season, I think they have an advantage, but I think of what a disadvantage it would be for like free agents and stuff, because who would want to go and play? Think about how much more money you'd have to pay somebody to come and uproot their whole lifestyle and go move to London for the season and deal with all the headaches that involves um, instead of just staying in the States. Mm, I don't think that's as big of a drawback as you think, like. I think a lot of people would jump at the chance to go live in London, honestly. All right, listeners, chime in. Let us know if you guys want to go move to London. Me, I'm happy right here with the fucking 50 stars and 13 bars, man. Wait a minute. I'm not saying I want to move to London. That's not at all what I was saying there, bud. So don't fucking start. Don't start your fucking bullshit of this is me saying I want to move to London. Quite the fucking opposite. I'm not a we fucking, fucking... We got a fucking red coat on the air here, guys. All right. Take it easy. I'm not fucking moving in with Phil Dunnett anytime soon. 
Hey, speaking of which, Phil D had the next question. He says, uh, next time, if there's a UK game, should we do an episode with him? Well, you'd have to go to the game first, dude, and stop watching your bullshit soccer. Well, you would have to know anything about real football to come on this show. So I think we'll pass on that, and you can just you can watch Sukur over there. <laughs> Tony Barker says, after the last couple weeks, should the Bears ride with Justin Fields or continue to pursue Caleb Williams? I mean... They still seem pretty committed to Justin Fields from what we see week to week. I, I don't think they I don't think the Bears have given up hope on him yet. Here's gonna be the problem though. If they get the number one pick, whether it's theirs or the Panthers pick, dude, if you trade the number one pick two years in a row and don't come out come out of that with one of those two quarterbacks, and then Justin Fields does end up being a bust over his career. Dude, that's like a franchise-altering decision. I just I don't know yeah. how you could do it two years in a row, dude. You can't get the number one pick two years in a row and not take a QB. Yeah, to really answer the question, I'd say after the last couple of weeks, I don't think it's time to totally pull the plug on Justin Fields, but they got to make a decision one way or another by the end of this season. And unless it's convincingly in favor of, yeah, this dude is going to be our franchise quarterback, I think you got to go and dra- grab uh, Caleb Williams if you got the first pick. Agreed. All right. Zach Hertzler says, what team are you shocked or surprised with uh, doing great or bad so far this season? I think for me, the biggest one has been the Bucks. We thought they were going to be in the mix for worst team in the league. And they're 3-1 and one, and... I think they're going to come down to earth a little bit, but you know, I, I fully expect them to be, you know, right in the mix for the NFC South championship going down the stretch this year. I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I think it's the lions. I mean, we expected them to be good, but dude, they're we're, we're in a world where the lions are four and one and being favored in road games. Like, I mean, is this a world you ever thought you'd live in Seth? Like, I just I, I don't know how they're not the surprise. I mean, it's not surprising that they're good. We all thought they'd be good, but this good, this fast, like they're really good. Yeah, it's fun, man. That that fan base definitely deserves it. After uh, you know, they've really had maybe two or three good seasons the last last twenty five years. So hopefully they can uh, you know it's legit and it lasts all the way through. Um, as far as the downside, I think the Broncos, man, I was, I thought the Broncos were going to have a serious bounce back under Sean Payton. That's shame on me and putting faith in that guy, but they're probably my biggest disappointment so far this year. How about you? What's your, what's your biggest disappointment, Jordan? I'm going to go the giants, dude. I just, I'm not saying a hundred percent like that last season was sustainable the way they won, but dude, I mean, they'd be one and four after five weeks. One and four, and they've been outscored by ninety-one points in five games, dude. Like the one game they won was a miracle comeback against the Cardinals. Yeah, they literally should be zero and five right now. I mean, yeah, it's just it, I feel bad for Dayball because I do think he's a really good head coach, but this is not good. Not a good. Yeah, look. he did. The, the cupboard was pretty bare when he got there, man. And they haven't really added anybody big. It's just. All the success they've had so far this year has been, or since he's gotten there, has been strictly because he's there. Yeah. All right. Roger Rodriguez says, will the Dak McCarthy pairing ever make a Super Bowl appearance? I'll say no. I don't think either one of those guys, whether together or apart, ever make another Super Bowl. No, I agree. All right. And last question. Sam Rosenthal says, what has happened to running backs? Do you really think it's the player or the team coach? I refuse to believe 
Josh Jacobs, Dalvin Cook, etc., all just lost their talent before 30. I don't think it's that they lost their talent. I just think it's that you can find guys way cheaper that can give you pretty much the same thing. Dalvin Cook is an interesting one because he's been so injury-prone the past couple of years. I think a lot of his is that he's just – there's a lot of miles on those tires. Like, the the Vikings definitely rode him into the ground. Josh Jacobs, it's not a great team. Um, it, we're going to keep seeing this more and more, dude. They're just – they're going to continue to devalue running backs more and more. It's sad, but it's just – this is the NFL we live in, dude. They, this is a passing league. Yeah, hundred percent, man. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, there's even thoughts about this off season about maybe doing something different in a collective bargaining agreement for running backs. It's just, it's a, uh, it, even the best players are still super, super replaceable. Unless you're somebody like Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey, like you got to try to get your money while you can, man, because the the league, the teams are pretty much looking to replace you before that first contract is even up. Yep. All right, Jordan, remind the listeners where they can find you guys, where we can find us on social media. <laughs> on Twitter, you can so find us. So you send that on Chick Foley Show, dude. Sorry. <laughs> on Twitter, you can find us at goal underscore line underscore pod. And on tw- uh, Instagram, you can find us at the goal line football show. That really cracked you up, huh? That was, that was pretty good. All right, reminder, this is not us signing off. We are about to switch over to interview mode. Uh, you know, I got to give a tip of the cap to Jordan. This is the first time we'd done this, and he did an absolute outstanding job on leading this interview with uh, Buck Rasmussen, former Super Bowl champion. Super interesting conversation. Hope you guys like it. Let us know because, uh, you know, Buck's definitely down to come back. And uh, other than that, we will talk to you guys next week. All right, guys, we are back with our interview that we're going to kick it off. I will hand it over to Jordan to uh, do the introductions for our special guest this week. Yeah, so uh, this is a, a special one. This is a, a Nebraska boy, if you will. This is a homegrown kid in uh, my state. So uh, without further ado, I would like to announce uh, our first guest is Super Bowl champion Buck Rasmussen. Buck, what's up, man? Nothing. I just want to say thanks uh, for having me here on the program i've listened to a couple episodes and uh, i like what you guys are doing appreciate it man um so just to let the listeners know we're just going to go down just like a normal interview go down a list of questions um and you're just going to have some fun with this so we'll kick it off with this so uh buck my first question for you is what was your college football experience like i know obviously you played at uno Obviously, I know that UNO discontinued the football program, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts on what it was like at UNO. Can I start from the beginning? It's a long story. Absolutely, man. Okay. So coming out of high school, I was a really late bloomer. Um, like literally, I'm from Tacoma, Nebraska, a tiny town. Um, I graduated with like 50 people. And late bloomer, small school, and we didn't have a good record my senior year. We literally won like two games my senior year. But I was a pretty good wrestler. And so I kind of got noticed through that and, you know, literally didn't get any letters, didn't get any love until a couple games into my senior year from colleges. One of those colleges was Nebraska. And there was, you know, a bunch of other Division One programs there. I took some visits to Nebraska as well as 
Northwest Missouri State, South Dakota State, North Dakota State, UNO, all these schools. Um, so I, I got full ride offers from the D2 and, and 1AA schools, and then I got a preferred walk-on to Nebraska. Okay. And I accepted that offer. So that was my first route was to go to Nebraska. The problem is literally about a week before graduation, my senior year, I get a letter from the NCAA clearinghouse saying I didn't pass the clearinghouse. And what had happened was my sophomore year, I missed a bunch of uh, school um, and I was able to get caught back up. It's a long story. I had a couple different surgeries, but I was able to get caught back up on every class except one semester of geometry. I just could not get back on track with that. So I didn't pass the class. I got like a 69.9. My teacher wouldn't bump it up to a 70. Met with the guidance counselor, met with the principal. They said, um, don't worry about it. Take business math, pass it, graduate, move on with your life. So I did ace the class the next year, moved on, and everything was good until I got that letter from the clearinghouse. So the letter was basically, you don't pass. So I, I met with Tom Osborne and Charlie McBride, if you're Nebraska fans from the 90s. Oh, wow. Obviously, you know those names. Yeah. Um, top of the food chain right there. Yep. And, you know, I'd met them before in the recruiting process, and they were great. They just gave me a list of JUCOs to go to. And basically, it was going to be two years at a JUCO in order to play Division One football. And as much as I did not want to do that, that's the path I chose. So the saga continues. I go, um, you know, work out during the summer and about a week before I was supposed to report to Ellsworth Community College in Iowa, um, my buddies and I go on a tubing trip every year out to this river called Naya Barrera out in western Nebraska. And we're jacking around, having a good time out there. We get a head-on collision with a truck pulling like 20 canoes on a trailer. We all end up in the hospital. Wow. I, you know, my buddy got life flighted. Um, I screwed my neck up really bad. The doctor says, you know, you're never playing football ever again. And, you know, like a smart 18-year-old, I say, not only am I playing football again, I'm playing football next week. <laughs> I'm, I'm, re- you know, I'm reporting to camp, you know. And uh, so I did. And, and that didn't work out well, obviously. First time we hit, you know, I my knees buckle. I, you know, lay on the ground in pain and they say, you're done for the year. And so we hadn't started school yet. So I said, well, I'm not going to school at this, you know, to me, it was just a crap old college. I'm not going here. Right. I can't play football. So I come home till between my apologies to any, any alumni that might be listening right now. Yeah. yeah right. I know. I hesitate <laughs> to say that, but it's the truth. I come home with my, my tail between my legs with no options now. Like, you know, Nebraska's out, out the door, the JUCO's out, out the window. Um, and I just go to Metro Community College for a year or for a semester. And you'll know this name now if you're a college football fan, but Lance Leopold, KU's oh, coach, yeah. he was, he was uh, the offensive coordinator at UNO, and he had recruited me there. And he had offered me a scholarship, um, you know, when I was a senior, and I turned it down. Well, he was back at my high school. And just at just kind of swinging through and he asked my head coach coach hunt 
Um, if he had any guys, you know, that are worth looking at. So he talked about that. And just in passing, he said, by the way, what's Buck up to? I haven't heard anything about him. And he told him, I'm just, I'm working out and I'm going to, you know, a community college and that was it. So next thing you know, Leopold reaches out to me and says, your scholarship's here if you want it. Wow. You know? And so that's how I ended up at UNO. Man, that's that's a full circle moment coming all crazy going to Nebraska first, then community college, and then all the way back to that man. That's that's insane. I I obviously never knew that. Um, But Pat was the head coach, right? Pat Burns. He was. He was one of my favorite people of all time. I I like to say when I was at college, I you know I turned from you know a boy into a man, and it was all because of Pat Burns. I mean, uh, you know he's strict extremely strict by you know it was his way or the highway kind of a deal but i really needed that and at the time i was frustrated to be you know in the situation i was in and i was just kind of lacking confidence and going to uno just built me up and man i had to go through the grind when i got there i was fourth on the depth chart my freshman year going into training camp and three weeks later when the season started I started my first game and so I worked my way up, but I had a chip on my shoulder, man. I, I just, I felt like, you know, everything had been going wrong, but I really worked my butt off, um, lifting and running in the summer. And, and, you know, I poured concrete in the summers. I mean, I worked my butt off. I was physically in really great shape. So when I got my chance, I, I did not relinquish that chance. I mean, I started pretty much every game the rest of my career there. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. What was the uh, what was the integration like between UNO and and, uh, and Lincoln? Like, was it was there a lot of like support and like you know movement back and forth between players? I know it was probably a lot more difficult transferring schools and stuff back in the day, but was were the programs connected at all, or were they for all intents and purposes just totally separate yeah. uh, football programs? They were just totally separate. Got it. Now, I I do think that Coach Burns had maybe some. I think he had a relationship with those guys and vice versa. I mean, you know how it is like the coaching world is, it's just such a small world, but in terms of the connection of the programs, no, there, there wasn't. And, you know, back then transferring was so rare. Um, Yeah. The player freedom was much less than it is nowadays with the, uh, you know, the transfer portal and everything. And no, we would get, you know, guys from Nebraska that for whatever reason ended up with us. Um, and occasionally you'd have a guy that would transfer and sit out for, you know, two years or whatever, but it, it was rare. Um, so yeah, it was, it was separate basically. Okay. Nice. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll go straight from that into what it was like transitioning from college to the NFL. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about, um, like leading into like the draft and things like that. Did, was there ever like any inklings that you could possibly be a late round pick or did you kind of always know that you, you would have to go the undrafted free agent route? Well, that's a long story too. So how much time we got boys? We got plenty <laughs> of time, man. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, take all the time you want, man. My junior year, are you familiar with the name Chris Cooper? Jordan, you yep. might be. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He, he was my roommate at UNO my junior year. He was a year older than me. And he was being recruited. I mean, he was a stud. I mean, just big, strong, fast, mean dude. Um, and he played right the end. I played left the end. He had such a strong senior year that, you know, every team was there to recruit him or, you know, to scout him 
every practice, every game. And so I kind of always had this feeling if I could play well, they're going to see me too. And we were loaded on the defensive line my junior year. Well, our entire defense was one of the best defenses in the history of Division II football. And we just loaded at every level, put a bunch of dudes in the NFL from from that defense. Um, but anyway, I I didn't actually have a sack until the, shoot, second to the last game of the year, maybe third to the last game of the year. It was second to the last game of the year. Um, playing North Dakota, I had zero sacks going into that game, um, and I got four sacks that game. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I batted a couple balls. It was just a crazy, I was just, you know, one of those in the zone kind of moments. And a bunch of scouts were there looking at Chris Cooper. So that was, I was the benefactor of that one. And then the next game, we played Pittsburgh State. I had two sacks and a fumble recovery there. And so it was like, wow, all of a sudden I was on the map. And, we um so i we lose in the playoffs against uh, north dakota state you know heartbreaking deal but anyway in the off season it kind of became apparent that i was uh, people were aware of me and scouts um you know knew all about me we did a junior day i tested out really well agents started reaching out to my my parents my high school um coaches my you know, my brothers, they couldn't reach out to me legally, but they could reach out to my kind of circle. Yeah. And then I was a preseason All-American in Sports Illustrated that year. Scouts were telling me, or excuse me, agents were telling me that, you know, at this point, maybe a fourth round draft pick. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you'll find with my story, nothing is as easy as it appears. <laughs> so th- that's why I like to tell the story as a motivational thing, because, you know, it, it was hard, but I blew my knee out. Um, the w- We played our first game against Northwest Missouri State my senior year. At practice, the next Tuesday, I blew my knee out doing a one-on-one drill against the offensive line. Oh, brutal. And I had done that my freshman year um, so many times that I actually ended that year with a full knee reconstruction. And it took me a couple of years to get to the point where I felt meant. I mean, physically, I felt good after that. You know, after the surgery, I was able to come back. But mentally, it took me until my senior, you know, really my end of my junior year to feel right. And so then when it happened, I dislocated my kneecap. It was always an issue for me. Um. So when that happened, I knew immediately. <laughs> I, I laid on the ground and I thought, it's over. It's just over. The, the, the surgery is so brutal. The rehab is so long. I mean, it, it's worse than an ACL. It's way more involved. Right. Um, but for some reason, this thought popped into my mind right after I thought it was over. This thought popped in my mind like, I, you know, I'm going to the league. I'm just going to do it no matter what it takes. I'm going to the league. So... So what was it like to transition? Well, I think for anyone transitioning from Division Two to the NFL is probably an extremely hard transition. Not to say that there's not terrific athletes. Obviously, there are. Um, but the speed is so much different right. when you get there. And for me, coming off the, you know major knee surgery, you know, it, it was a massive transition. So to answer the question, was there talk of me being possibly drafted? For sure, after my junior year, well, then after I took the the medical redshirt and came back, you know, 
and had that delayed senior year. Even then, my agent, it was an agent out of LA called Game Day Sports Management. Um, my agent, he said, I can just promise you, you'll have a job after today. You might be a seven, sixth, seventh round draft pick. You, you know, at the very least, you'll be an undrafted, you know, a, what they call a priority free agent. And okay. so, so I felt comfort in knowing that. And the way it all worked out was, I started getting calls in the fifth round. You know, you've heard those stories, right? Yeah. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to draft you with our next. And then, you know, the next comes and goes. And I mean, I probably had 10 of those calls. Um, But at the end of the day, there were 21 teams that offered me. And my agent and I talked it through and he kind of painted a picture of the ones that he thought you know, would be a good idea. Now the jets came in and did a private private workout with me at UNO as an, as an O lineman. And I I really thought about that um, because I could go into the NFL and be an average speed uh, D end or below average, possibly if I'm being honest, or I could go in and be a guard who's pretty dang athletic and fast. And uh, so I toyed with it, but eventually, you know, we, we looked at the Patriots and as loaded as that defense was, um, there were two guys, two DNs that we thought probably had about a year left. And maybe I would have to beat out one of them to make the, you know, to make the roster and, you know, just being real, I didn't beat them out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let me ask a question, man. When you got down to like the sixth and seventh round, are you still, I mean, if you can think back to this time, like just to try to get in that mindset, because this is, you know, far beyond any, you know, where me and Jordan's football careers ended at at this point already. Are you hoping to get drafted or are you starting to think that it could be beneficial to just, you know, kind of choose your own path and go the the undrafted free agent route? You know, for me, I wanted to get drafted, but my agent was... My agent was advising me basically the, the same thing you said. Hey, it might be pretty beneficial. Uh, the only benefit you would get from being drafted that late is, you know, the signing bonus would have been better. Right. And maybe, and, you know, the team's got a little bit more investment to you. Maybe you get a little bit, you know, a little bit more leeway. A little. Yeah. I, you know, right. maybe some teams value that more than others, but I knew, you know, and, and it proved to be true. With the Patriots, I don't know that they would view a sixth or seventh rounder much different than they would view a free agent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From, from the outside looking in, you know, we, we, it seems like Belichick would cut a first rounder and not blink about it. So, yeah, you're definitely right on about that. Yeah, he doesn't. He Well, I don't know about nowadays. That's a whole other story, right? But back then, he wasn't cutting people <laughs> with much slack. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, you report to your first training camp as a Patriot. And I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head. I can remember they had guys like Seymour, McGinnis, Brewski, Vrabel, Ty Law. What was it like just like taking that in the fact that you you were on the the same field as guys that are first team all pro and things like that? Like, did it just seem like so much faster to you at that point? And those guys were just it was just a different level at that point, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, when you first report, it's more like rookie minicamp, so you don't yeah. see those guys. And so it's funny because you're <laughs> you're doing drills and you're doing, you know, a big test as a D lineman or an O lineman is obviously the one-on-one pass rush drills. Yep. And so I get there and, you know, going against some rookies, we didn't have any early round um, offensive lineman draft picks. So I'm going against guys that, well, we had oh, our center, why am I, Dan Coppin, 
Um, yeah. he, he was a starting yeah. center there for years, but I played in, so I didn't go against him much. He was kind of probably the the top one. But so rookie, the, the first thing that struck me was just I could beat these guys with moves, um, but they would recover immediately. So in the NFL, you can't have one pass rush move, you know, and you're not going to, you know, unless you're just a complete outlier, they can, you know, you're Aaron Donald, they can just bull rush or destroy someone, you know, for the most part, you need move after move after move, and you're countering, you're setting up, you're, and, but I felt like I was able to adjust that quickly. Well, then you fast forward to like the real mini camp with everybody there. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I was kidding myself. Um, I felt so far away <laughs> from where I needed to be. Um, it, you know, yeah, it was incredible. And then re- the biggest eye opener for me, though, guys, was when we tested out. You know, you test and I don't know that we did the 40, but I know we benched. We, we did vertical. Oh, all your measurables and stuff. Do you remember the name Rohan Davy or Rohan Davy? Yeah, was he a quarterback? Yeah, LSU guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. I watched him lay down and rep out like three sixty five, like ten times on bench or something crazy <laughs> like that. Yeah, he was a pretty big guy. I, I want to say was, I remember he was. He's probably like two forty five, and I'm like. Well, I'm in the wrong spot here. <laughs> but, then, but then our group, you know, our group lays down in benches and I'm like, you know, at this time I, I had had both shoulders reconstructed, you know, in high school. And so bench, I was a really strong squatter. I was a strong cleaner. I could, you know, I had a good 40, I could jump out of the gym kind of a deal, but bench, man, it was just never quite there for me at yet at that time. So I see the first dude lay down. Um, Dan Klecko, if you know Dan Klecko. Yep. Yep. Yeah. His dad's Joe. They just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. Dude reps out 405, 10 times on bench. Oh my God. And I'm like, holy crap. I hope this is an outlier, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't because there was a seventh round nose that we got from Baylor, Ethan Kelly. He lays down, he does it right after Klecko does. And I'm like, oh my God, these are the other rookies. I'm screwed. <laughs> So everything for me was just a big adjustment and I was, I was eventually able to adjust to that. Thank God I was, you know, we won, we won the Super Bowl of that year and those names that you, you guys just laid out. I mean, I was in awe, especially Richard Seymour. I mean, yeah, he was the man. Oh my God. To see a guy that big, that fast, you know, and that mean on the football field, he was just on a complete amongst Everyone else who's uh, just a stud, he was a completely different level. Yeah. So, so I got I got a quick question, man. Not not to get too deep in the weeds on the Patriots stuff, but I still remember um, for the big story back then. So you're a rookie on this, you know, veteran team that just won the Super Bowl two years prior. I remember the big story before that 2003 season was Lawyer Malloy getting cut. Um, you know, right before the start of the season when he had been one of the key players in that secondary. And the way it was always portrayed, like in the media, was that, you know, the players were ready to revolt and it was going to be mutiny against Belichick over this. What what was it like on the inside, man? Was it really that big a deal or was it just, you know, business as usual for you guys when uh, when he got cut right before the season? I mean, I, I don't know the inner workings of how that all went down. I, I know that people were close to Lawyer. Obviously, he had won a Super Bowl with the team and he was a huge part of that. But outwardly, in the locker room and, you know, on the practice field and, and that kind of stuff, I never heard anybody 
outwardly say anything like they're going to mutiny or anything like that. I, the truth of the matter is they were so loaded still. And those guys were, you know, all veterans by that point, they understood that right. it, it's just how the game is. It, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. You know, it's, it's a big corporation and that's, you know, the feelings kind of go out the window. Yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, that was the start of the Patriots dynasty. So at this point, Belichick's got so much, cachet already as a head coach he's already won one um he's got this this young quarterback brady that's just absolutely lighting it up um and and like you said the entire team's just absolutely loaded from top to bottom so yeah it's uh that is crazy that they cut him even knowing how great he was and they replaced him with a rookie if i if i remember correctly i don't remember exactly who it was but i'm nearly positive they drafted his replacement in the first or second round so we drafted a couple guys but what what was interesting was after that people kind of forget but ty law got hurt and so so i think i think the gamble was you know we'll deal lawyer to the bills but we still have got you know we still have ty law well Still, you know, it's Belichick being Belichick. He's he's pretty good on the defensive personnel side of the game. So we get Asante Samuel. Obviously, oh, yeah. we all know, you know, how he turned out. Legend. Yeah. Yeah. But it still left one spot to be filled. We got Eugene. I'm forgetting his name. Wilson. Like, Eugene, Eugene Wilson. Gino. Yep. He was a second rounder my rookie year. Um, but honestly, Randall Gay, we called him Blue. Blue Gay came in, undrafted free agent from LSU, and he took that starting spot. Man, he was there for a while. Yeah, he was. I mean, one of the most genuinely nice people you'd ever meet. So we were all extremely happy for him. That's awesome. Um, So obviously one of the burning questions is going to be, what was it like being coached by Bill Belichick? Like, just kind of give us give us a little bit what it was like being in that locker room, being in practices with him. Because I mean, by all accounts, like every time that anybody in the media talks to him, I mean, he's as straightforward as it comes. He's he's not going to give you anything extra. It's just this is what you're getting. Yeah, when you get to know him a little bit, you can see that actually, you know, once again, this year is different. The last couple of years have been different, but when, when they were winning, when we were winning and then when they were winning, when you get to know him, you can kind of read his mannerisms and his facial expressions. I mean, half the time when he's being gruff and rough and tough with the media, it's tongue in cheek. And he's got this wry smile underneath it that you can recognize, but most people can't recognize it. And of course he likes it that way. Yeah, he, so, he's just a different dude. Different dude. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, he was serious most of the, you know, let's call it 85, 90% of the time. But he actually has a, you know, he's extremely witty. And, um, yeah, he's he's actually funnier than hell. But, you know, <laughs> it doesn't show itself very often. I mean, the biggest thing you take away from Belichick back then, and it held true for obviously a really long time, was he's 
the word genius is thrown around way too much in sports. I, I firmly believe that. I mean, just because you win a championship doesn't mean you're a genius. But but Bill Belichick, I, I don't know what his IQ would rate at, but he he has a genius level memory. He has a photographic memory. And the awesome thing, I mean, it was extremely intimidating to be coached by him because he, he could put you on the spot. You know, it wouldn't be Pat Burns putting me on the spot about you know a question on a play or something. It's Bill Belichick. And by the way, if he calls you out uh, in a meeting, the audience consists of the dudes you just named. So if yeah. you know if he asks you a question, because you don't just have to know your responsibility, you have to know the coverages, you have to know what the quarter quarterbacks audibles mean. You know, you have to know what the linebacker does when they run a shift or a motion. He expects you to know every play in every playbook of every team you're going to play that year before the season starts. And so when you get called up, and especially as a rookie, you get called up, you know, he'll, he'll call you up and he'll rattle off a play and expect you to diagram what the offense is going to do. Every route, every blocking scheme, what the running back is going to do, what the quarterbacks do, what any audible could be, what every coverage needs to be, you know, every position on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball on every play. So to say it's intimidating is an understatement. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what he expects. And that's part of the reason they were so good. Um, you just know when you're coached by Belichick, or at least back then, you knew that you were going to be more prepared than everyone else. So I think there was this implicit trust. Like there's just no way anyone else is coached as thoroughly as we're coached. Well, okay. So it, it's interesting that you kept saying obviously back then and uh, a couple years ago. So do you think it, it, a lot of, of what's going on in New England right now is that the NFL has just changed so much in, I mean, even the past three, four years, the NFL's changed a lot. I mean, it's the most pass happy it's ever been right now. Um, I mean, look no further than the devaluing of a running back. Like it's yeah. just the NFL is just all about receivers and quarterbacks and these agile tight ends. So do you think that what's going on in New England is a kind of a case of maybe Bill Belichick kind of not being up with the times, or do you just think that maybe it's a talent level thing? What do you think it is? I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, everyone knows it's a quarterback driven league for many reasons. One, it's more exciting to player safety. So quarterbacks don't get hit anymore. Um, so there's just so much emphasis put on the offensive side of the ball, you know, in particular quarterbacks. So it makes it even more important than ever to draft the right guy. And this is me personally, I'm a patient person and I wanted Mac to be the guy, but I, as of last week, I decided Mac isn't the guy. So I'm uh, I'm from Bowling Green, Kentucky. My wife's a Western Kentucky uh, Hilltopper uh, alumni, man. I've been banging the drum for Bailey Zappi to get a full shot. I thought he was decent, you know, when he came in for those like two and a half games last season. I don't know why they haven't given him a shot because he, he at least gives you something. I feel like Mac is just he's kind of just there, you know, uh, at least from the outside looking in. That's what it seems like. It doesn't seem like he's really helping them win games. You and me both, man. 
Um, I I feel like Zappy. What's the what's the hurt in it? We know what we have with with Mac. Um, and honestly, his rookie year was best case scenario. I felt like it was something we could build on. And then just do you guys cuss on this podcast? I, oh I, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We got we, we you, you, we're we're R rated, man. So feel free to let it fly. The clusterfuck of Matt Patricia, <laughs> and I love Matt Patricia. I, I have stories about him too. He was brand new when I was there, and I was transitioning to play some offensive line my second year. And and Matt Patricia was the guy that Belichick put in charge of, kind of helping me do that. I love Matt Patricia, but I I will never understand that move. What what was that? I mean. When he was, yeah, I felt like that was just like a flex from Belichick, like a F you to the league. Like, we're going to have this guy be our offensive coordinator and we're still going to win. Like, it just, it made no sense at the time. It made less sense after the dust settled on it. Yeah, I did not understand that at all. I think you're right. Um, I think it was a flex. And I, I, I'm a Belichick guy. I'm a Patriot guy. I, I hope they turn it around. And I would never get a uh, bet against Bill ever. Um, right. But I, that sabotaged Mac Jones. And there's been injuries, but let's face it, it's the NFL. Everybody gets hurt. The O-line is a patchwork, you know, O-line, and that doesn't help. I think it's all of the above, but whiffing on a on a draft pick at quarterback, I mean, it can set you back a really long time. And I, I look at Kirk Cousins in, in Minnesota, and to me, I mean, I'm going off on a different tangent, but when you no, go for it, when man. you make a play on a dude like that and you pay him 80 million guaranteed or whatever it was five years ago and you lock your franchise into that guy now they had a little success last year i mean they also had the best receiver in the nfl but i mean for the most part it's like a, a quarterback decision can just screw your franchise for a long time yeah i hope the patriots are willing to i don't know how much mac has left maybe next year's is last year the, the rookie contracts are different these days but um I hope they can rebound. Obviously, now there's talk of getting rid of Bill. I, I, at the very least, I mean, he should not be a GM. Yep. Because that flex, you know, that <laughs> you, you hit the nail on the head with with that. Um, He's one of the few that has been successful. That, and that's yeah. across all sports. You know, you see NBA and NFL. It's very, very rare, rare for that head coach and GM thing to work out. And honestly, that's kind of gone out of fashion. I feel like we haven't even seen that much at all in the last 10 years. That was something kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think Bill Parcells kind of started that trend. And some of the big heavy hitters in, you know, across NBA and NFL would get that title. And you don't see that too much nowadays just because, you know, Belichick was the rare one that was actually successful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it worked, and, and maybe it'll work again. I mean, like I said, I would never bet against Bill, but um, it's certainly not working now. Um, can I tell you a Belichick story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Let us hear it. I, 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 you know, I, it's funny. I We were actually timid, Buck. We, we didn't want to, like, we were trying to make this about you. We didn't want to be disrespectful and make this, like, you know, just, you know, Patriots insider. But, dude, yeah, hit us with all the Patriots stories you want, man. We'll, we'll eat it up. And I'm sure the listeners are going to love hearing this kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I could talk about that, that time forever. I mean, for me, I was there. I didn't get a play. I was on the practice squad. You know, it, Obviously, I, I wish I would have gotten some playing time, but I was behind, you know, a bunch of first-round draft picks, basically. The whole D-line was first-round draft picks, so it, the writing was on the wall. But I was part of a journey that is kind of irreplaceable. I mean, I could have gone on a different team and, and 
you know, maybe even played a little bit and certainly made more money, but I wouldn't change it because of being around Belichick, being around all those legendary players and going to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. Um, so it was huge, but I, you know, Belichick. So back to the story. So, you know, Charlie Weiss, of course, Yep. he was the old coordinator my second year. So it'd have been the 2004 season about midway through the year, you know, I'm on scout team. I'm playing left the end and we're going against the number one offense like you do. And they run a screen and as a D lineman, you're always taught from the time you're like in high school. If a running back ever runs by you, like he's going out on a route and there's nobody accounting for him yet. So slow him down, either shoulder him or just reach out and grab his jersey, tug it just to slow him down, give your linebacker time to cover him, you know? And so I had been doing it for so many years. My instinct, I always would just reach out. It was, I didn't even think about it. I would just reach out and grab their jersey, just slow him down a little bit. So I did it, and it was um, Falk. It was Kevin Falk was the running back. He's really short, and I poked him in the eye. (laughs) And mm. it stopped the play immediately. He he's like, oh my god! He was holding his face, holding his eye, oh my eye, you know. And why Charlie Weiss comes slowly walking out there, and you know, kind of trying to figure out how bad it is and everything. And I'm I'm apologizing, you know. I, I always felt like, you know, if, if you're a scrub with the Patriots, you're always on the brink of getting let go. That's <laughs> just yeah. how you know, you always <laughs> feel that way. And and Kevin Falk, this this guy, you, you almost took his eyeball out. You know, he's one of the all time greatest third down running backs in NFL history. Yeah, and he's Belichick's favorite. I mean, he'll he'll tell you he's, <laughs> he's his favorite of all the guys. I mean, he just loves Falk. It seemed like he always, you know, third for years, man. It seemed like you know, third and seven, somehow Brady's finding that guy across the middle for a first down. Yep, and he never fumbled. You know, he could return punts if you needed him to. He was just. He was just, he was so reliable. And I think that's what Belichick really respected. So I poke him in the eye. He's, you know, not feeling good. Weiss walks out there. He immediately comes straight up to me and starts poking me in the chest, yelling at me. <laughs> and you know what? As a guy, if somebody pokes you in the chest, it's, it's just an instinct, you know? Yeah. You, you, you can't even control yourself. It's just like, you, you know, you could yell at me, you could do dirt, but poking me in the chest is different, you know? And he's a, we, I think he said something like, you know, we didn't bring you here to hurt our star players and what the bleep are you doing and blah, blah, blah. And once he poked me in the chest the first time, I just, I, I kind of lunged into him and, you know, I started yelling back. Belichick runs over, gets in between us. And he's like, get your ass over to the sideline. Get out of here. And Weiss is yelling and screaming at me as I, you know, I sprint out to the sideline. My D-line coach was Pepper Johnson. Okay. I get over there. He goes, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, watch your mouth. He goes, don't ever talk, you know, don't ever talk to a coach like that. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I've never said something like that to a coach ever in my life. I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry. I'm like, he's just like, you're done. He's like, you know, basically just I'm relegated to the sideline for the rest of the, the practice. And I'm thinking, I'm it's over. Like, I'm cut. This is my last practice officially with the Patriots. What an idiot. <laughs> so anyway, practice gets over. I'm walking back to the locker room and I hear footsteps behind me. I'm like, oh, God, this is it. 
And I look back, it's Belichick. He puts his arm around me. He goes, don't ever do that again. I go, I know, coach. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry I did that. And he goes, don't ever talk to a coach like that. I can't believe you did that. And he gets this smile. He, he couldn't contain himself. This smile comes over his face. And he goes, you know why Charlie was pissed, right? I said, no, why? He goes, because when he installed that play in our meetings, I told him it wouldn't work. <laughs> nice man. He's, just, That's awesome. he's dying laughing and and i go oh my god what a relief he goes don't ever talk to a coach ever like you know ever again like that and he just jogged off to the locker room i'm like that was a close call <laughs> survived it oh man but he could you know just his presence for someone like me occasionally you know he would say buck you know you just run him into the lunch line or whatever you know Buck, I noticed you did this, or I know she did that. You should do this differently, or I would recommend this. And it's like, holy cow, he, he knows who I am, you know? But he knows who everybody is. He knows every single thing that is going on with every single player. I mean, he is dialed in. Yeah, that's... It's, it's not a CEO, to, you know, certain coaches are CEOs. He's not a CEO. I mean, he is, but he's also like, he's coaching you. He's teaching you, and that's his passion. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, we'll we'll wrap up the, the 2004 story with this one. So, uh, obviously, you guys end up winning the Super Bowl. I just kind of want to get, like, what's going through your head as – I mean, you're still obviously part of the Patriots organization. You're obviously at the Super Bowl for Super Bowl week, everything like that. Um, like, what's going through your head as you're standing on the sidelines watching uh, the team that you are currently employed with win the Super Bowl? Like, because I mean, n- none of us will ever experience anything like this. So I just, I kind of want to know, like, what what was going through your head during that game? It, it was so surreal. I mean. You talk about the guys on our team, you know, the legends that I was fortunate enough to, you know, to play with and, you know, coaches, players, everybody. But then you get to the Super Bowl, something obviously you've watched your entire life on TV and you look around. It's like, huh, there's there's Bill Clinton. There's George Bush. There's Roy Jones, Jr. There's Paul McCartney. There's Alicia Keys. There, you know, and you just everywhere you look is just famous people. And I've just barely scratched the surface with the names. I just Ryan Phelps, you know, took a couple pictures with him. Um, So that part was surreal. And then and then you look out on the field and Terrell Owens and Donovan McNabb, they're warming up. And so, to you know, to take that in and then to to look up into the stands and know my wife is there my dad is there, my brother, my father-in-law, you know, to look up there. And I know that they're feeling this surreal feeling. I'm feeling this surreal feeling, you know? So that part was crazy, but then the game starts. And when you're on the sidelines, it just feels like a game. And from the moment I got cut in 2003 and sent to NFL Europe, I was just praying to get brought back because I just knew we were going to win the Super Bowl. I knew they'd win it in 03. I knew when I got brought back in 04, right away, I'm like, that oh, we're going to win. There's just, I just know we're going to win the Super Bowl. So then you get to the game, you're on the sidelines, you see both teams warming up. And right away, I'm like, yeah, we got this. I just, 
there's just something about that team, man, and, and the coaching, the players. It was just like I just knew it. And so then to see it happen and see such clutch performances by, you know, everybody, um, the, the stars made big plays in the biggest game and to witness it and just think, to, to be a small part of it was just massive to me. Deion Branch was MVP of that one, right? Yeah, he, he was, you know, yeah. and great dude, much deserved by him. Um, but, you know, I think Brewski had a, uh, an interception in that game. My boy Jarvis Green, I don't know if you know that that name. I think he had a sack in that game. Willie had some big plays. Rodney, I mean, the toughest dude in the entire NFL, um, made a huge impact. I mean, just so many guys. The, the list just goes on and on with, with that defense in particular. So uh, I'm obviously not the biggest Patriots fan, mainly because of what happened in the Super Bowl against the Falcons. But that has nothing to do with like my hatred for the, the Patriots. <laughs> oh, it's I'm more sure. just every, every, everybody. It, everybody just hates when another team wins. But let me tell you, in in uh, 2004, little 18 year old or uh, yeah, 18 year old Jordan watching the pan turds go to the Super Bowl with Jake DeLome. I was about the biggest Patriots fan of, of all time that day. So I, I was happy when they won. And that is the infamous uh, Jan- Jackson halftime show. So, yeah, I have some decent memories of that game. Rookie year. Um, 03. And then, yeah. And then 04 was the one that I was more involved with. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was – it was surreal. It was a dream come true. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, honestly, I just dreamt of it just like every kid. So when it, when, when, I mean, I remember the first time I put on a Patriots helmet, I was just like, I can't believe it, you know, uh, you know, and then the first, you know, the first, even just a preseason, I had a sack my first play ever um, against the giants. And I was just like, I, it was an out of body experience. And then the Super Bowl, And then, you know, afterwards we go to the, um, you know, we have the big party at the hotel afterwards and I'm just, I'm holding the Lombardi trophy and Snoop Dogg's playing, you know, he was our guest. You know, <laughs> it was like, I can't believe it. You know, it was just like, is this real? So yeah, it was awesome, man. That's awesome. So Brady at that time, man, he was kind of like, I mean, he was doing his thing. He was really good, but he was still kind of in like the, you know, a little bit of like a game manager who could make a play if you needed to roll. Were you guys like the people? inside like the organization was already vibes like this dude is going to be a freaking legend or was he just kind of like you know a solid solid guy for at, at the position at that time what, what was kind of the vibe around brady at that point everybody thought he was a legend at that point nice so for him to do so much more after that was wild um i met his dad one time my my wife and I got it somehow. I'm not even sure how this happened, but he invited us to a dinner with, I assumed it was going to be like a bunch of guys from the team. We get there. It's at this restaurant in downtown Boston. We get there and it's like one other player and his wife, um, Tom Brady, Bridget Moynihan, Tom Brady's parents and his sisters. And that's it. So I got a, my, my wife and I got a chance to talk to his dad. He was the first person we, we, we met. We go up these stairs and this older gentleman standing at the top of the stairs, he introduces himself. He says, hi, I'm Tom Brady. And I said, well, you're not Tom Brady. And I'm like, I know Tom Brady. He goes, I'm the, I'm the Tom Brady. So anyway, we, we talked for probably 15 minutes then and then you know had a drink after dinner and talked to him. And I, I asked him at that point, it's funny now looking back on it, 
but I said, the guy's accomplished it all. You know, what more could he do? You know, what? Yeah. Three rings at that point. Yeah. What, what more would he want? And he goes, you know, he, he said, they call him Tommy, you know, they act like he's a little kid. Oh, Tommy will never be satisfied. Tommy. And he told me the whole story of kind of his origin story, which was he was the youngest, you know, he had three older sisters that were all stud athletes and he was just the runt who always tagged along and whined about being at their softball games or whatever. Um, you know, he was just kind of, you know, fourth fiddle to, you know, in the family. So he developed this chip on his shoulder and his dad just said, man, it'll never, ever go away. I promise you that. And he was right. He knew his son pretty well. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm glad you brought up NFL Europe because I was actually talking to one of my friends this morning about it, how I wish they would bring it back because I, I still feel like the NFL is missing the boat, not having a feeder league. Like, I, I just think like I, I get the practice squad thing, but I, I honestly think it would be better for the NFL to have the practice squad players like actually playing in live football and being just like ready to go at the drop of a hat because I mean, sometimes you'll get a practice squad player that'll come in and he, he's just not quite ready at that point, you know. So uh, give us like your, your opinion and, and what it was like playing in NFL Europe. It was the best. It was the most fun I ever had playing football because awesome. it's pure football. You're you're there to get film. You're You're there to impress, you know, we were all you know, 95% of us were signed to NFL teams at that point. So, um, the football was an absolute blast. I mean, we're all competitive. You're trying to win the games, right? But ultimately we all have the same goal, make it back to an NFL team. Um, and the value of that for someone like me is I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made it back to an NFL roster if I didn't have NFL Europe. And I know a lot of guys were, were the same way. It is a, it is a hole that they've never filled and it blows my mind that they did that because at that time the league had struggled for so long, but it was gaining popularity. I mean, there were several stadiums where, you know, they'd get 30, 35, 40,000 fans a game and it was on TV there. It took them years, but they realized that for some reason, Germany was kind of where most of the fans of the German fans related to it really well. And so most of the teams ended up being in Germany and there was just a lot of buzz around it at the time. So for them to get rid of it, I, it, there is a lack in a way to develop players and there's been all these other leagues that have tried it, but they're not owned by the NFL. They will never make it. And that's just a fact. The NFL can, you know, they can float it financially and, there there would have been such synergy to do what they're doing now with real NFL games in Europe and have NFL Europe. It would just make perfect sense. So I don't I don't understand that. Now I'm sure it was very expensive, but I mean it's the NFL. They, I mean they're, some... they're doing they're doing regular season games there now. Like they can clearly afford it. <laughs> right. That, that, that's what was uh what was living in Amsterdam like? Well, I was 23, so 
I mean, you could probably guess. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's one of the true sin cities of the world, man. If I, yeah. you know, so again, I'm in the Navy, man. So I've hit ports all over, and yeah, Amsterdam. That's kind of a legendary one. I've never uh, haven't checked that one off the list yet, but I've I've heard good things. It's a pretty good time to uh, pretty good place to spend a couple nights. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were there for months, you know, and I, I, you know, I didn't partake in you know the party favors that way, but um, but we just had a blast. You know, they celebrate. It, it's like once a week they have some type of national holiday and they close down the streets and, and party. So we, we did all that and man, it was just, it was a blast. And then you're traveling, you know, you're away games, you're taking a train. So you would take a train from, you know, from Amsterdam to Dusseldorf or, you know, Cologne or, you know, wherever Hamburg. Um, and it's different than in the NFL because we would stay the night at those, you know, wherever we played, we would stay the night. So then you would check out that city too. And since there's no real rivalries, we're friends with, you know, everybody knew everybody over there because you had the same agent or you went, you played college football together or, or you were on the same team in the NFL or whatever. So it was like a big fraternity of guys that all knew each other. And so when you played, you know, an away game and, you know, at the Rhine fire or whatever, you'd go out and you'd hang out and party after the game with all those guys. So it was just, I mean, one of the funnest experiences of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. I I've just never understood that not having a feeder league for the NFL. I just, I feel like it's such a missed opportunity and whether or not that's in Europe or wherever, I just, I really feel like they're missing the boat with that. But, I mean, again, the NFL knows what they're doing. It's it's not like they need my advice on how to make the league run smoother. But I, <laughs> yeah. I just think it would be so much better for everybody involved, especially for practice squad players. Because, I mean, you said it, and you just wanted to be out there playing and just getting the opportunity to play and put some uh, – some tape together of yourself like that that's so much more valuable than only being there for practice squad reps and in case a guy goes down so yeah i just i think there's more they can do with that honestly i hope they do it just gives some guys some opportunity and i mean obviously it's pumped out some mega players i mean adam vinatieri was there you know yeah kurt warner Warner was there i mean and the list goes on yeah all right, so we're, we're going to transition away from the football field. So uh, what has life after football been like for you, and what do you do currently? Sure. Um, when I got done playing football, I immediately got into sales, and it just fits my personality. So I've been in sales for many, many different companies, including some some huge companies. I've managed the you know the state of Nebraska for companies like Kohler, you know, the huge plumbing manufacturer, Owens Corning. It's a huge building materials manufacturer. I currently work for a company called Advanced Drainage Systems, which is a giant in in their industry. Um, And as time has gone on, I've occasionally been asked to, um, you know, do motivational speaking. Um, But I never really, you know, I would prefer prepare for whatever speech it was to some team or whatever and, and do it, enjoy it and move on. But over the last year or so, um, I was asked to do a couple of kind of bigger ones. And I really thought, I think I'm kind of good at this. And just, you guys know, from some of the stories that I shared with you, my hard knocks, um, (laughs) I've got hard knocks, you know, 
in spades throughout my life and especially throughout my sports career. So I have a lot of things mm-hmm. that I could draw on, in, you know, in terms of goal setting. So long story short, I decided, I think I'm going to treat this motivational speaking thing the way I treated football um, in, in my wrestling career before that, which is I'm going to devote a lot of time and energy to it. I'm going to devote, you know, uh, I, I'm going to focus on my sleep, my nutrition, my practice, everything and see where it takes me. And so as of now, I've done several speeches this year and I have several more booked and it's really exciting. I mean, the the main focus for me is helping people make and keep goals that they've set because I feel like I've witnessed it so many times in my sports career, my own playing career and when I coached People lie to themselves, people cheat themselves, people kid themselves, and most importantly, they break the promises to themselves. Um, they take the easy way out. And I think I can really help people understand ways around that. And so I'm really passionate about doing that. Man, I'm just going to tell you this. like, I, I don't think we could have picked a better guest for our first, first uh, interview segment because, dude – there was times in this that you had me ready to run through a fucking wall. I'm not even going <laughs> to lie to you. Yeah, really? it, yeah, you're man. You're just like, I don't know. There's just something about the way you talk. Like you're just such a presence with the way you talk. It's, uh, it, it's, I mean, just those setbacks. And it seemed like the setbacks were coming right when you were on like the precipice of a, of a breakthrough. So it's just, you know, it's just like the double whammy, man. And just, you know, pressing through and finding that success. I mean, dude, you're super bowl champ. Yeah. No matter what else happens in life, you're a freaking Super Bowl champ. I never got rich, never got famous, but I did achieve a goal that I set out to do when I was really, really young, despite a lot of obstacles. And I just want to be able to share that with people and, and tell them it, um, it doesn't have to be football, obviously, but whatever that goal is. Don't be don't be nonchalant about it. Don't be vague about it. Don't treat it like it's meaningless. Treat it like it's a promise to yourself. Keep the promise. When when other people break their promises to you, you don't trust them anymore. Keep your promises for the love of God. Keep your promises to yourself and it'll change your life. I mean, if that does not like uh resonate with you, I don't know what will. Um yeah, man, it, it has been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you, um, learn your story and stuff like that. And I really hope people take it to heart because this is a it's really cool. I didn't know any of this stuff before tonight. Obviously, Seth didn't either. So it's a it, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to hear your story, man. Oh, I'm so thankful you guys had me. I, I like I said, I enjoyed the episodes I've listened to so far. I'll keep listening. And yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that you guys had me here. You bet, man. Um, go ahead and tell the people if you want to. You can uh, plug any social media you have or any way to get a hold of you for uh, motivational speaking or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, right now my social media presence is is limited. Um, I'm only on LinkedIn, but you can find me. Just type in my name and and connect with me. That's that's where all my other um, stuff has kind of been booked through that and word of mouth. So yeah, but by all means, reach out to me there, and I'll get back to you. And all I appreciate right, you guys doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Seth, you got anything else? Right, thanks a lot. No, nah, man. Thanks a lot, Buck. This was great, dude. You've set a high bar for uh, for future guests on the show. Awesome. I'm glad to do it, and I'm glad the audio worked. Thanks, guys.
<laughs> All right, take care, man. Woo! Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the bat rails in your mouth. Come on. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey! Bring them out, bring them out. Yeah. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey! Bring them out, bring them out. Yeah, please come and laugh from the VIP. Heard the nightlife, lost life without me. Most of the feds in the state wanna see my knee. The whole city got pissed, heard he got three. That other nigga got a hip and shout it, he not down. Who set the city on fire soon as he got free? The king back now, hold on, he know how to act now. Hit the club, strippers getting naked before I sat down. Still ballin', money stacked tall in the shack now. Still push a button and let the roof on the lag down. I'm on the road doing shows, put my Mac down. Mississippi to Philly, Albuquerque. To chat time. I got the crowd yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. I'm a hot girl yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. All the dope boys yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. Front the back gate yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. Get with other rap niggas hooded in this. I got rich and I'm still on some hooligan shit. You be rapping by blow, I don't move in the shit. Talk about shooting out, now we're doing the shit. If I hit you in the face, you gon' be suing the shit. And if I catch another case, I know it truly be missed. So I'ma keep a cool head, stay out of the news headlines. And show these other rappers it's bedtime. It's clear to see that I'm ahead of my time. I cop a chrome down hard, talk career with a shine. I got some time, they ain't shit, cause I get better with time. Who got a flow and a live show better than mine? I got a packed house yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. I'm a hot girl yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. All the dope boys yelling. Bring them out, bring them out. Put the back day. Mic check, one, two, one, two You wanna beef with the king, what is you gon' do? When you show up on the scene, one or two guns drew on you and your friend and play a little two-on-two two. If you do happen what I do, you'll be hitting the deck I got a tool and a vest, I can get some respect I'ma make it hard for a sucker nigga to flex Show him this ain't a squad for a nigga to test Pimp, my nuts too large and we way too fresh Work well with nines, AKs, and texts Be quick to check a lane like a game of chess You wanna beef, nigga, bring your best Cause we'll be standing in your front yard yelling Bring them out, bring them out I'm a hot girl yelling Bring them out, bring them out All the dope boys yelling Bring them out, bring them out Put the back day yelling Bring them out, bring them out Oh, front yard yelling Bring them out, bring them out I'm a hot girl yelling Bring them out, bring them out All the dope boys yelling Bring them out, bring them out Put the back day yelling Bring them out, bring them out